of Hey Kids Comics. You just thought we could have talked for a hundred weeks. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. Um, now, if if you've talked to us, or me specifically, about the show off the air, as it were, you know that one of the things that I am preternaturally terrified of is A, being boring. Well... I have no control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have thought I'd get over that. I'll be being very self-indulgent. I would have also thought you'd be filming. No, I, I don't think we've. Well, I, can, I don't <laughs> think we've been overly self-indulgent. These are the two things I, I'm not fond we're of. Still a Leyland and not a Liffield. Yes, we're still a Leyland and not a Liffield. Um, but I figured for the 100th episode, if you can't be self-indulgent now, when will you ever be? When can you be self-indulgent? In another 100 episodes. So I did think that. We've never really peeled back the curtain to talk about how this all came about and why we decided to do it and, and stuff like that. Have we? We might have done several times. I don't recall us ever discussing it properly. We so may have made it again. an off-hand <laughs> reaction to this, this is us and this is what we do and, yeah. and all that going. Um, I first postulated the idea of doing a podcast to Michael after Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hi, Scott and Chris did an episode of Two Tree Freaks called Get Off Your Lazy Ass and Make a Podcast. Well, I think they said ass. Okay, because, you know... Us Brits. We say ass. Yeah. They say ass. Mm. It's pretty much the same thing. So get up off your donkey and make a podcast. Yeah, get off your donkey <laughs> and make a podcast. Which actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Get off your donkey and make a podcast. Um, and I thought, if those two chances could do it... Yeah. Then, then we could do it. Yeah. And so, although... The first podcast I listened to was From Crisis to Crisis, and that led me to Views from the Long Box. That led me to Two True Freaks. It was that episode that actually made me decide, oh, go on then, let's let's give this podcasting thing a try. And I believe that I, I came up with a, a, an intricate, well-laid-out yeah. plan of attack to convince you to do this, didn't I? And yeah. that this was an excellent idea, and I really had to... to to, to lay it all out for well, you. Well, I know you believe that yeah. it happened. In fact, what actually happened was I said, Hey, Mike. Hello. Want to do a podcast? Okay. And I think that was it, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> I think that was as far. Like, what? What's it? What's the podcast? It's, it's 11 on a Saturday. What? Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be me and you talking about comics. We do that anyway. Exactly. But this time we do it in front of a microphone. Excelsior. And that was pretty much how, how I, I pitched the idea to you, yeah. wasn't it? So and then we, we took it to the board of directors. We took it to the board of directors who, who approved of our idea mm-hmm. with the hope that we would turn a profit 12 months in. Yeah. <laughs> and I did not, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so I, I got this, this free Podomatic account and we recorded our very this first free episode. Podomatic yeah, account. Yeah, to start off with, it's free. Oh, right. It's only later on you have to start paying money. 100 quid. More than that. 
Um, so we did our first episode. What the lovely people at home don't know is that episode almost didn't get heard. What? I thought it was terrible. This isn't self-affairs. I thought it was terrible. It still went up. Yeah, well, I, and I appreciate all the people that have gone in touch since it went back up. And said, And said, good. actually, it was pretty good. Because ultimately, I don't think you're the best judge of your own work. Yeah. I always think you, you, in a perfect world, we would turn this recording over to a completely independent editor. Yeah. Who would edit it into a professional piece of work. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that luxury. We have to yeah. do it ourselves. And I can't edit a show every week. Yeah, there is that. So I have to do it. Sorry about that. Um, what we've not mentioned before as well is I am very, very tough with the scissors. Um, I My personal preference is for a show that is focused and on point and occasionally with a bit of tangents. Yeah. But there is... Michael's glaring at me though. If you think the tangents that get left in the show... Uh, off topic. You yeah. should hear some of the stuff we cut out. You should hear some of the stuff that gets cut out that I say. Yes. Yeah. Well, you especially <laughs> get cut out an awful lot, primarily because of your your idiotic ramblings on certain topics. Easy to do it a the, lot of the time, though. We, yes. Yes, it does. A lot of the time, it's very funny. <laughs> but that's not what we are. So very funny. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we are. And um, we initially started off with this idea that. I would pick a comic, Michael would pick a comic. Yes. And we would discuss it. And looking back at our back catalogue on our webpage, which is heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. Check it out. We immediately did not do that. We we followed the theme. Four weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks. At first it was a theme. Yes, at first it was a theme. Whereby and we picked an issue each. And we immediately threw that out the wayside when we did Vertigo a month. Um, Which we didn't go down well. No, Vertigo Month's gone down well uh, in subsequent it in didn't releases. When we first did it, it didn't when we first did it, no. Yeah. It it was one of those things where we were like, look at the ratings, is there any point of doing this? But since, that that has ended up being quite popular. Yeah. Um, the first episode that we did were, we inadvertently hit upon our formula, Yeah. was the Star Wars ones. Which went down like a hoop. Yeah, and they were, and probably still are some of my favourites that we've done. Because it's Star Wars. Because A, it's Star Wars. And B, it hit upon... Or two. As Dave Walker would say. A and two. Um, It did inadvertently hit upon the formula that we have ultimately... Unexpectedly, it has to be said, stuck to. In many ways. We didn't... This wasn't deliberate. But I am a firm believer that the show evolves on its own. And this happened accidentally. Yeah. In that we pick a a multi arc storyline or a multi-epic crossover, in this case the adaptations of Star Wars Empire and Jedi and we do it over a number of weeks and primarily one of us really loves that material and the other one's a little more sceptical of it. Yeah. And inadvertently the Star Wars ones were A, not just the ones I enjoyed doing the most, mm-hmm. where the pair of us really did start seem to have a good time doing what we were doing. I mean we did beforehand. Liked listening to the past. But they were the ones that I listened back to and actually thought, you know, we, we're not truly terrible, we're just terrible. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's not self-effacing. You, if you listen back to yourself and think, God, I'm good, then I just think that's the height of hubris. Yeah. Whereas if you listen to yourself and think, actually, we're not God-awful, I can live with that. So with the Star Wars ones, we inadvertently hit upon the formula that has served us well ever since, because we followed up the Star Wars ones with The Blackest Night which was Michael's mm-hmm. multi-arc crossover, and also 
the first time we really did one of those multi-episodes devoted to a particular storyline, isn't it? Yeah. Which, as I say, has inadvertently become our stock in trade when we started doing Nightfall, which we followed with Night's Quest, which we followed with Night's End. Some of the things we've done have perhaps not been as successful as we may have wanted. No. Um, my personal opinion is Couch Potato didn't perhaps go as well as we would have liked. Oh, it went as well as we would have liked, just not listening. Oh, it went as well as we would have liked because we got a month off out of it. Yeah. We recorded all five of those episodes in two days <laughs> yeah. and had all of summer off. So in that respect, it was a, a roaring success. The thing I learned about doing audio commentaries from them is it is better if it's something you've seen a number of times. Mm. My personal favourite of those lot was The Incredible Hulk. Because A, you seem to actually enjoy it and actually be quite surprised by it in the yeah. fact that it was from the 70s and you were expecting to just rip the mick out of it. But I enjoy a lot of stuff from there. No, 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 but that's not what I'm saying. You you can't say to me you didn't think at some point you were just going to rip the piss out of that. Well, yeah. But you didn't. And no. you actually ended up enjoying that episode. I'm sure I might have done sometimes. And the one I did think you would enjoy, The Flash, yeah. you ended up just totally tearing to bits. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting. So we've inadvertently carried on with the let's do multi-arc storylines instead of the you pick a comic, I pick a comic. Mm. The only time I think we've gotten really self-indulgent are on the two episodes that I fretted the most about. Which ones were those? The Universal Studios and Disneyland holiday ones. You thought we were self-indulgent on those? I think those two episodes are incredibly self-indulgent. Why? Because, A, it's the height of hubris to think that people are going to want to listen to you talk anyway. Especially on holiday. But to think that people are going to want to listen to two hours of you just goofing around on holiday with your family. Yeah. I dithered over those two. Do you not remember? It was one episode. Yeah. And then it was like, well, actually, I think the audio's really piss poor in this. I can't make people listen to two hours of this. Mm-hmm. So I cut into two episodes. And then I was like, oh, well, it's not long that's enough now. Weeks. That's two weeks. That's two weeks worth of this. Is yeah. that better than one episode that people could just skip? Because I do acknowledge that the nature of this show is it's different topics every couple of weeks. Yeah. And if we're covering a topic that you're not particularly interested in, I get that you may skip that episode. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. I do it myself. There are certain shows, they do an episode where they're not talking about something I'm particularly interested in, and I skip that week. Yeah. Sometimes they will cover something I'm not particularly interested in, and I'll listen to it anyway and think, wow, that was really good. Mm. But that's, that's the nature of the beast. But I did honestly think those two were self-indulgent. So I ended up padding them both out, if you recall, with us just sat around the swimming pool in the villa yeah. eating food. Just to just you know, just to pad the episode out a bit, and just to give it a bit of audio that wasn't craply recorded in a, so a you theme park. Panicking over people being bored of us on holiday, yes. so you included it with more things. It was just. Do you know what the most popular part of those episodes were? The bits where we ate food. The bits where we sat around eating junk food. Yeah. So. Fair play, you know, I, but I did fret. It was two episodes, then it was one episode, then it was two episodes. Mm. And there was an. I recorded over four hours of yeah. theme park audio for what ultimately made two, two out, you one hour episodes. Every ride we went, yeah, every ride and out conversations and stuff. And, yeah. and you're just like, I've been self indulgent putting Star Wars in this twice. Yeah. People aren't going to sit still for that. So I cut all of Indiana Jones out and, and the all best that part stuff. of 
those shows was the the little extra bit at the end of us on rock and roller coaster, which I almost again didn't put in because yeah. the audio That's was, why it was at the appalling. End. So I the, I made the decision that I would include that at the end of the show. That way, if it was too much, you could turn it off. Yeah, and you weren't missing anything. But that was your favourite part of it, wasn't it? Because it was hilarious sitting on that next. Yeah, to um, Secret Wars was another one that was that went down well. Spider Man month was my favourite yeah because it was a month just chatting about Spider-Man you you didn't even bother turning up for some of that did you I mean you were here physically <laughs> but in terms of <laughs> it was you I could have left you on your own actually reading the material I don't think you was bothered it? oh I, re- I read all the material it was a chore but I don't see how you can say that to be honest with you so that's where we are mm-hmm. so essentially it, you have to blame Scott and Chris which because it's their fault it's the safest bet yes but thanks to this show, yes. I have talked to lots of really cool people. Yes. I have been on their really cool shows. Yes. If I've spoke to you, either via email or Facebook, or actually had the privilege of being on your show, thank you very much. Through the show, Stephen Lacey invited us to do Fantastic Cast. Yes. Through the show, I got a copy of Amazing Spider-Man 252. That isn't that written on. didn't have boobs on it. Thank you so much, Sean. Yeah. Through the show, I got a copy of the American Avengers. You did? Cheers, Dave. Through the show, you got that... Flash signature. Yes, through the show I got John Wesley Ship's autograph. Through the show, I've thanks, got, Mike. I've got through the show. You've got bugger all. I've got three issues of Final Crisis. Oh yes, Scott gave you three issues of Final Crisis. Oh, I know two True Freaks t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget that. An extra item of clothing. An extra item of. I actually, wore that to school. So we we can't really complain about it too much, no. can we? Um, in terms of what we think didn't work, last week's episode didn't work for me. Which was last Maximum week. Carnage Part 3. Why not? Because I had this, in conception, yeah. brilliant idea mm-hmm. of just recording all the audio from the game yeah. and putting it underneath us talking. Yeah. Did that not work? In execution, perhaps not the wisest idea. Because okay. ultimately, all the way through the episode, all you can hear is... <laughs> and I listened to it back, and I, I did think, that doesn't really work. Yeah. But to take it out would have meant taking all that audio out and then re-scoring the episode. Mm -hmm. Which, if you don't make a podcast, if you record for an hour, it's 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 two hours in the editing room, easily. So with an episode like that that was already nearly two and a half hours, you're looking at at least four hours worth of editing, so I wouldn't have had to do the email section again. Mm. And I basically, I just made the decision to leave it because I just don't have that kind of free time. Yeah. And thought, I'll just chart that up to experience and I won't be doing that again. Right, oh, what, what do you think didn't work what, that the, we've done? The, the second ever episode we did. Mm. Oh, oh, God, yeah. The one that did it to the live The day, second episode. When you were still reading my issue when yeah. we were recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first episode we did Superman Secret Origin. Was it like we spent after a month of working on it? Yeah, we, we did a month. And then we made the stupid decision to go weekly. Hey, let's make this Let's every make week. this a weekly show. As ideas go, <laughs> perhaps not my finest. It's stuck. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's sometimes been very close to the wire. Yeah. When we've not... When we started what we laughingly refer to as season two. Now... Angela, my wife, who, my long-suffering wife, who puts up with all of this crap, because if she didn't put up with any of this, you wouldn't have a show, mm-hmm. is the bottom line. So it's her you really need to thank, not us. Yeah, this woman let you keep your uh, comments when you yes, get married. Yes, she did, and encouraged me to buy more. Yeah. That's a rarity. It is, it's an incredible rarity. Um, what was I saying? 
um, this season too. Yes, the season thing. Angela's took the mick out of me for calling it seasons when I rail yeah. against there being seasons in comics. Season one and season director's one and cuts. director's cuts and all that stuff. But the season thing was necessity. It became readily apparent that by being on Podomatic, who don't archive your episodes, yeah. that at some point we would have to start deleting episodes. And if we numbered them one, two, three, four, five, you'd ultimately have a situation where your episode starts at episode 53 mm-hmm. and people can't get one through 52. Yeah. By numbering them season one, episode one, season two, episode one, I'm giving people a clear demarcation point yeah. that, look, you don't have to listen to all of them. We talk about something completely different every week, more or less. Mm-hmm. But if you want to start at a number one, here's a good point place to start. Yeah. And that's how that came about. It wasn't any grand plan mm-hmm. on my behalf. It was simply, well, I need a way of showing. I mean, if, if I'd had my druthers and could go back, I wouldn't number any of them. Just keep them all. I'd those. just say Superman, Secret Origin, yeah. Batman, whatever, Batman Nightfall 1, Batman Nightfall 2. So they knew what order the multi-part ones came in, but I wouldn't number any of them Yeah. so that people could just look. Because I like to think, one of the things we do like to do on the show is make it so that if you've listened all the time, you'll get some of the bat references and some of the in-jokes and stuff. But if you've never listened before... It doesn't matter. I like to think it doesn't matter. Yeah. I like to think you can listen to this show and think, God, they're crap, I'm never listening to that again. <laughs> or, ooh, I may check some more of them out. Yeah. They're moderately, moderately entertaining. Well, what did Gabriel say, which has still been my favourite quote? Uh-huh. Sufficiently silly. Yeah. Hey, kids, call it sufficiently silly. Which is... If we ever make it big, Gabriel, <laughs> I know that's a long shot. And we have posters, and we do like Kevin Smith into arena tours yeah. with the show. That well, we do see is going on the poster. Box of comics. Yeah, that's what he does. Fair enough. That's going on the poster. Hey, kids, comics. A post, uh, speech mark sufficiently silly, Gabriel. That's going on the poster. Yeah. And it's all right. It's got a gun. That's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the second episode I think we've mentioned before, mm. we, we did Secret Origin, we recorded Secret Origin at the beginning of December, and we had an entire month of playing with it and editing it, not that you'd know that from listening to it. <laughs> and the second episode I picked, Batman, The Origin of Batman from 1940, yeah, the one where he, he finds Joe Chill, and you picked Batman Last Stand. Last Right. Last Right. Two issue story. Two issue story. And I thought it was god awful. So we re-recorded episode two, whereas yeah. I picked Batman the Player on the other side, mm-hmm. but you still did Last Rites, and yeah. we recorded that episode from scratch, didn't we? I wish we still had the raw audio to put it up for that second episode bonus. that we did. Yeah, to put it up as a, the, a lost episode, like Star Trek The Cage and stuff. Yeah. But it's long since been deleted, we never saved it, it never went up, mm. so it's unlikely somebody's going to have a copy of it. And there's a part of me that thinks it's a shame. Because I would like to go back now and listen to it. Yeah. And think, oh, yeah, alright. Maybe it was terrible. Or maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It probably was. But anyway, that's our self-indulgent bit. So those are all the people. So thank you to everybody who's ever got in touch, Facebooked, Mm -hmm. emailed, invited me on their show. But very special thanks to Scott and Chris. Without them, I've said before, they're the godfathers of the show. Without them, there wouldn't be a show yeah which is why when we got the Two Tree Freaks t-shirt I felt an honorary member of the clan did you yeah I thought that was quite clear because the first person to ever give us feedback was Chris Honeywell was it yeah alright so what was it you guys are actually decent he gave us quite a good feedback on the forum he said that was actually quite a good show because it was that that made me go on 
Yeah. If he'd have said, God, this sucks. So it's his fault. Yeah. So with all that in mind, we're not doing emails tonight. Which... Obviously. Yeah. Which we, we are, explain next week. Which we explain next week. <laughs> but you'll have heard that. No, you'll hear that next... Yeah. Whatever. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Wait. Should I tell them? The Superman's already gone on. No, it hasn't. Okay, here's we, the deal. We, I read an email today where someone said the very next... Yeah, we talked about doing it in an episode. Right. Right. Here's the skinny. Um, I miscounted. Yeah. And... I thought this was episode 100. You've already said this next week. Have I? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so we've had to switch the episodes around, basically, mm-hmm. because I cocked up. I know it'll come as a shock to you, but whatever. You'll hear more next week, apparently, <laughs> although I don't remember saying that, but whatever. You, you did. So what have we decided to do for episode 100, Mike? Um, 100 issues. Yeah, we've got one of those comics where they did 100 issues for Heroes Initiated or yeah. whatever it's called, and we're just going to look at every single cover. Yeah, and talk I've got about it if you want. Um, yeah, you have. I bought you on that, didn't No, I bought it. Did you? Where did you get that from? The Justice League one from Florida. Yes, you did. Yeah, sorry, I thought I bought that. Yeah, you got that from Florida. Didn't you? You'd like to think you bought it. Yeah, I'd like to. So, by and large, apart from that self-indulgent 20 minutes introduction... Yeah. We're doing business as usual for the 100th episode. We're not going to do a clip show because that would mean me going back and listening to it all and picking best bits. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you'd probably end up with an episode that was three minutes long. Or every episode. <laughs> or every single. Oh, very good. Um, and we're not going to talk about our best and favourite comics simply because we want to go on to Prodigal. Yeah. But we thought about our 100th episode quite a lot. What to do? Because mm-hmm. then we gave thought to covering issues 100 of certain comics like yeah. there's in Spider-Man 100 or whatever well that's been done before um, and then we thought we'd do a let's ask Andy and Mike a question episode but thought not only has that been done before by people much better at this than us but what if no one wanted to ask a question yeah <laughs> we should do it anyway we ask people to send us a question and then once we've got enough we do a shot of it and then but then so if nobody asks us a question we've got a really short episode yeah so if somebody if people do want to just send in random hey guys, questions why do you suck so much and what's it like to suck so hard good question it's ne- a good next, question. next week on hey, ask your mum <laughs> no we've made that joke before see we're already repeating ourselves yeah um, and see that's really the problem what do you do that hasn't been done before mm-hmm. it's been said there's no such thing as an original idea so we decided for episode 100 we would do exactly the same as we've always done we'd pick a comic we'd read comics we'd talk about comics stick with what you know Yeah, I think is, is the moral ACDC have been doing it for 100 years so have status quo yeah. so that's what we did however we wanted to make at least a tiny little bit of effort well, into the comics we chose. And one of the things we knew that is on the docket for the next couple of weeks is our look at the Batman story at Prodigal. But what to do about the issues in between the end of Night's End and the start of Prodigal? It didn't seem right to just ignore them, as they were all fun books, but at the same time, they were tied into the overall zero-hour crossover event, and we didn't want to cover all of that, simply because... Whilst I do like Zero Hour, I do think it's essentially a crossover event that didn't need to happen. It was explaining stuff that, to me at least, didn't need explaining. Things left over from Crisis on Infinite Earths that, by and large, could be left alone rather than become like Ouroboros and just be the snake that eats its own tail. So we didn't want to do Zero Hour and all of its 
associated spin-off titles. Mm-hmm. Also, I heard it mentioned on From Crisis to Crisis that they are going to do that yeah. when they get there. And again, it's like, well, I don't really want to steal anyone else's thunder. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. There is the thing that nobody owns these comics. If somebody wants to talk about exactly the same comics we talk about on exactly the same day, yeah. it's like, okay, fair play to you. Normally, I'm, I'm very okay. You get on with it. It doesn't matter. I'd like to listen to what other people have to say about this material. But at the same time, if I get wind that somebody is doing something that we're going to do, then I won't do it. Yeah. The own to, this has led to us still not doing Superman Spider-Man even though I am itching Are we not? to do Superman Spider-Man with you know the two big treasury editions yeah because I thought you had them done no we've never done them I want to do them with you right I want to do Superman Spider-Man with you right because I really want to see you with goofy golden bronze age Superman Spider-Man team up I read them I know but you've never read them critically well, no. So I want to do it with you. However, the first time I wanted to do them, yeah. I discovered that Back to the Bins had done them. Yeah. And I listened to it, and it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, oh, you know, I can't beat that. Let that slide a bit, yeah. and I'll let that go. And then someone else did it. And then I was gearing up to cover it, I think as part of Spider-Man month. I yeah. thought, I'll do the Superman Spider-Man crossover. And then they did it on Superman on the Bronze Edge. Charlie yeah. Niemeyer did it with Don Grant and Josh Bertone. And again, you're like this is good no I'm not going to compete with this so I'll let it slide again so at some point I will do one of the Superman Spider-Man team ups we're doing both there's a new film coming out soon Superman's birthday's next year I'm already plotting what we want to do for that Yeah, I think I have too it's a 17 issue run yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then by coincidence DC Comics announced that the new 52 would be having a zero month. Do you remember what I said at the top of the show about there being no such thing as an original idea? Yeah. Yeah, I don't throw all this stuff together, you know. I meticulously plan my ad-libs. Do you? Mm. So, I discussed it with Michael, by which I think I said, so do you want to do the original zero issues? And you said... Okay. That'll do. Um... And we thought it would be a good idea to look at all the zero-hour and zero-issue back books from 1994 and then have a look at the 2012 counterparts. Um, It's not really a like-for-like. Zero-hour was designed to tie up some loose ends and then re-establish character backstories going forward. Zero-month was designed to re-establish character origins and motivations following the line-wide, don't call it a reboot, from 2011. Unless you're Jeff Johns. Unless you're Jeff Johns. Does he call it a reboot? No, I meant the Zero Issue Origin thing. Right. Well, he did, just didn't bother, did he? With Justice League... Well, with Justice League, he just carried on. Yeah, so he didn't... I suppose it still counts as an origin, so... Yeah, it wasn't part of... It wasn't a single-issue story, though, was it? No. Like the others were supposed to be. We're going to have a look at the core books, like what we did with the Knights crossover, Robin, Batman, Detective, and Shadow of the Bat, but not Legends of the Dark Knight, as they couldn't really be bothered with any of it. And then the new 52 Zero books, Batman, Detective, Batman and Robin, and the Dark Knight. Not Teen Titans, because we don't read it. No. Oh, have you read it for this? No. Right. I've included Nightwing. You've read a bit of Nightwing. I've read Nightwing, but I've not read it this week. So I'm going to rely on you to remind me what occurred in that. First thing first. Yeah. I know what you're thinking. And you're probably right. And you're right. What's this zero hour thingy all about then? Glad you asked. In the 90s, there was this book called Parallax. <laughs> uh, was he Hal Jordan? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, I believe he was Hal Jordan, wasn't he? Um, all DC Comics cover dated September 1994, except Vertigo, Milestone, limited series and other out-of-continuity books like Star Trek, had a zero-hour trade dress, except, oddly, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Demon and Deathstroke. Why they were exempt, I've no idea. The zero-hour miniseries itself ran for five issues, counting down from four to zero, weekly across the month. Zero Hour Crisis in Time, to give it its full name, and thus ensuring its status as a proper crisis, concerned the efforts of Hal Jordan, driven slightly mad after the destruction of Coast City in the reign of the Superman story arc, now going by the name, say it with me, Parallax, and attempting to put right what once went wrong by rewriting history. This results in characters who can't exist appearing to say hi, and characters from other timelines appearing in our timeline, and lots of other wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff that would make even the Doctor's head hurt. The gathered superheroes managed to prevent this, but there is some subtle, and in the case of the Legion, not so subtle, realigning of the timeline, and some very nice art from Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway. It was a little more complicated than that because time travel and alternate timelines were involved, but we need not concern ourselves with it too much. What we are concerned with, however, are the Batman books. These issues fall in between Night's End, where Bruce Wayne reclaimed the mantle of the Bat following the events of Nightfall, where he was temporarily incapacitated. Only in comics can a broken back with a prognosis to never walk again be referred to as temporarily incapacitated. Only in comics can only death in comics. be referred only, to as temporarily. Only in death, not the obstacle it once was, yeah. to quote Douglas Adams. Um, and Prodigal, where Bruce passes on the mantle to Dick Grayson, formerly Robin, now Nightwing. We all will be looking at... Batman 511, Shadow of the Bat 31, Detective Comics 678 and Robin 10, all of which had a September 1994 cover date. The cover of Batman 11 has Robin. No, it doesn't. It does have Robin. Yeah. But the cover primarily focuses on Batgirl, stood with her back to us in the Batcave as Batman, Oracle, Nightwing and Robin look on, horrified. It was called The Night Before Zero, Written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Mike Manley, inked by Joseph Rubenstein, lettered by Ken Brusenek, coloured by Adrian Roy, and edited by Denny O'Neill, with assistant editors by Jordan B. Garfinkel. The approach that we've taken to these has been a little different, in that it's not so much page by page, because we're covering 12 comics tonight. So to do page by page notes for that many would have taken us far longer yeah. we had. Especially since we've got to get this episode out quicker than normal. Yeah. So, we're going to do the synopsis, and then we're just going to talk briefly about the issue, and what we thought of it, rather than do the page-by-page thing. We hope this doesn't end spoil. Doesn't end spoil? We hope this doesn't spoil your enjoyment too much mm. of what we normally do. The Joker is on the run again, but he's brought to Burr by the Batgirl? It seems Barbara Gordon is running around hale and hearty, and this distracts the Batman enough that the Joker gets away. Batman figures that something isn't right, especially when the police shoot at him, Robin and Batgirl, and Batgirl is surprised when Batman has to be reminded that the police have a shoot-to-kill order on the cowled Crusaders. The Batman family escape, but are watched by a boy in a Robin costume. Batgirl fills in Batman with the tale of the killing joke, only in this telling, Commissioner Gordon is killed and Barbara abducted. We also learn that she and Batman are together. She gives him every exclusive. 
The Joker is eavesdropping on all of this via a conveniently placed bug in Batgirl's cape, and he decides to pay the new commissioner, Harvey Dent, a visit. Batman and Robin ditch Batgirl and speak to Oracle, our timeline's Barbara Gordon, who is still in the wheelchair, and she informs him of Bell's theorem. Robin checks this out, whilst Batman plans a visit to Harvey Dent. Robin comes through and explains Bell's theorem. There are at least 12 parallel universes, and events changing in one reality is bleeding into another, just as Batman arrives at the Gotham City Police Department HQ. The Joker has beaten him to it, exhumed Gordon, and placed him in the Commissioner's office where he is holding Harvey Dent hostage. Batman cons the Joker, and Gordon wakes up. Simultaneously, the Joker and Harvey disappear. The Batman sees Batgirl leaving the home of Barbara Gordon and realises it's not over. But he needs help on this one. He takes a meeting with Superman. And that was it for the night before Zero. What did you think of this one, Michael? Well, I enjoyed it. And I liked the art, but when I read this, I was confused by the zero-hour bow-snizzle. Why? Was it supposed to create an alternate timeline or overlapped time frames over another? But then you had the whole parallax explanation that I forgot. Oh, right, because you've read Zero Hour, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I forgot, almost. Yeah, yeah. See, I've read Zero Hour a couple of times, and and to be honest, I am always of the opinion that it's, ooh, pretty art, ooh, story makes head hurt. Mm. Um, Especially the, the Justice Society stuff. Yeah. The, the, what the more the lead? They all got younger. But See, I don't I, remember that. Well, they all got trapped in some everlasting Ragnarok and then got younger. <laughs> I don't remember because I don't think I ever read them. Yeah. Wow, what happened in Legion? Um, I think the Legion was essentially gutted by Zero Hour. But again, yeah. I never. Oh, it was completely revamped oh, and relaunched. There were those adverts where it was just a blank page that says the thirty the thirtieth century. Yeah. Yeah. And I think was this was this around the time it started being called Legion ninety three, Legion ninety four, Legion ninety five. They actually have the name of the year in the title of the book. I don't know, but I don't know if it refers to twenty ninety five or twenty one ninety five because Legion was always in the future. Yeah, but the Legion of Superheroes is something I never wrapped my head around mm. as a kid. It was my big blind spot was the Legion. I just I wasn't. It didn't grab me, and I never went back and read any. And even stuff where I have read them. They've never particularly appealed to me. Yeah. I don't know why, it's just one of those Maybe concepts. Maybe you're not one of the three people who are in DC at the moment. Very possible. Maybe some of that Paul Levitt's. Yeah. And all that continuity just never made sense to me. Um, see, I loved this one. Yeah. I love this issue. And why not? Because there is much to love. Love the Joker's... Is this a joke? When Batgirl arrives and Robin's appreciation of Batgirl's form... Which I thought was very teenage. She looks okay to me. Really okay. And you're like, down, boy! Down! Wouldn't it be funny if Batman had turned to him and said, do you need a cold shower? <laughs> that would have been very entertaining. Um, the Joker gets away via a very convenient helicopter that just happens to show up oh, yeah. at the right time. But the alterations in the, the timeline and an appearance by Dick Grayson as a very Which young Robin. Isn't played on again. No, it's that doesn't pay off until Robin. Robin, yeah. Is it Robin eleven? Yeah. Or Robin 10. Robin ten, isn't it? Doesn't pay off till Robin ten, which I thought was was really good. Yeah. You get a brief glimpse of Dick Grayson here and that's it. Because he's obviously very confused. Um I was also I also found that the Barbara Bruce relationship frankly provocative. Mm. Because it was always played up that it was Dick and Barbara who yeah. had the thing for each other. So the fact that here it's Bruce and Barbara, I quite like that. Yeah. 
I could live with Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon being and together. Bruce and Kathy Kane. I don't mind it being Kathy Kane, to be honest with you. Is she dead at this point? Yes, she she but died did in... Did she never happen? Um, post-crisis, she never happened, did she? Right. Pre-crisis, she was killed by the League of Assassins. She, she happened in current continuity. Current continuity makes my head hurt. Batman Incorporated continuity. Batman Incorporated exists in its own continuity, <laughs> let's be honest. But it doesn't, know. No, okay, fair enough. Um... The, the the best thing about this issue for me was Batgirl and Barbara Gordon and Oracle Barbara Gordon existing simultaneously in the same timeline. Something that immediately makes you want to check out Zero Hour. There are tons of lovely little touches. The old Batmobile, Barbara's sad remark that Batman was able to get out of his chair. How Harvey in this reality didn't become Two-Face. And some quite funny moments, Batgirl thinks Batman is calling Harvey a Two-Face. The aforementioned appreciation of Batgirl's form from teenage horn dog Tim Drake. There's some lovely character beats. Barbara Gordon's sadness when confronted with her able-bodied self. Batman actually admitting that some things are out of his purview, which he wouldn't do nowadays. No. He's just too cool for school now. And it's all extremely fast-paced and thoroughly engaging. And it does what a crossover issue should do. It tells a complete story, but makes you want to check out more of it. Good art as well. Yeah. By Mike Manley. I was, uh, I was quite impressed with the artwork. The primary changes in the timeline in this issue are, of course, Batgirl not being crippled in The Killing Joke and Harvey not becoming Two-Face in Batman Annual 14, post-crisis. Um, the adverts in this one, and the adverts are probably going to be the same over most of the month, so after we've done this one we probably won't be covering adverts. Blank Man, starring Damian Wayans, which I've never seen because I'm not a fan of the Wayans. Uh, there's a there's a what's it ad? An American Entertainment Comics ad. There's not so much hot in this one, is there? No. This is more like you get a free Batman poster by Joe Quesada. Yeah. So that, I presume that's, that's Batman 500. Yeah. That'll be Batman 500, won't it? There's a free X-Men poster by Adam Kubert and valuable comics. Five of them worth over $20. If you spend over $20. What valuable comics? Uh, it doesn't say, Blood does Storm it? Bloodstorm issue one. Bloodstorm issue one, yes. Limited edition image issue zero. But for the most part, this is this is just a standard comic book advert. There are no hot comics here. Well, there's the hot comics bit there at the bottom. There's DC special. Oh, yeah, there's a hot comics paragraph at the bottom. None of those particularly strike me as hot. Mm. They're all stuff that we've covered before. There's, there's nothing particularly interesting. There's hot cards. Yeah. Hot trading cards for Batman by Skybox. Beavis and Butthead, Marvel Fleur, Marvel Masterwork, Marvel Series 1, 2, 3, and 4, Spider-Man, Star Trek Master 1, Valiant, Wildcards, and X-Men. And the best sellers are all trade paperbacks. Death in the Family, Killing Joke, Nightfall, Sword of Azrael, Batman Spawn, Cable, Death of Superman, Robin Reborn. Uh, yeah, they're all trade paperbacks. There's nothing at Dark Phoenix is still a bestseller. Um, Action Comics Annual 6 which if memory serves was by John Byrne yeah. and was very good it was either set in America's Revolutionary War or the Civil War I forget which mm. um, part of Zero Hour is Legionnaires Valor and Legion of Superheroes and The Flash by Wade and Waringo was currently ongoing 
which is an excellent series. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as I've read it, anyway, it's up to issue 100. I need to go back to that when I finish reading Stern and Paul Smith on Doctor Strange. Christmas adverts. Or it looks like there's snow in the background. Maybe it's not a Christmas advert. The DC Universe page talks about Zero Hour and the, the rumours that are floating around that Barbara Gordon will want to become Batgirl. And then you will set the stage for Oracle Fall, Oracle the Crusade, Oracle the Search, and Oracle's End. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was quite funny. And there's a San Diego Comic Con in 1994 when they were so much smaller than they are now. Yeah. They're not even Comic Cons anymore. No, they're just media gatherings, aren't they? Um... There's a great letters page where essentially the entire letters page slags off maniacs. Which I think we slagged off a lot as well, didn't we? What was maniacs? Weren't they the Three Stooges goons in an issue of Batman that we just thought was intolerable? Yeah. Yeah, so it's nice to know that the letters page agreed with us. So the the Hot Comics ad was quite cramped, wasn't it? Which was a shame. Shadow of the Bat 31 had a great cover evoking the feel of the 50s with Fat Alfred holding a tray of drinks as we are told that the dynamic duo take on the battling butler. It's by Brian Stelfreeze. I love that it's got a lot of fake distressing on it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It looks like um, there's a rip. Because originally I got this out of the comic box. I thought I'd rip the comic because <laughs> there's a fake rip just over Batman's shoulder. Yeah. And the, the page has been made to look Dirty. Not water damage, but dirty, yeah. It's a really good cover. Yeah. I, 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 I like I that quite, cover. I quite like that. Well, I don't know why he shortened his name to Brian Freeze yeah. instead of Stell Freeze. I, I didn't understand why that would happen. But Maybe it's because there's a bad guy called Mr. Fries. Uh, the Battling Butler was written by Alan Grant. Art was by Brett Blevins. Adrian Roy was the colorist. Todd Klein was the letterer. Brian Stelfries, as we've mentioned, was the cover painter. Batman was created by Bob Kane. Batman and Robin return to the Batmobile to see a crime in progress. Howard Stein is robbing his own company, but with no memory of how he got here or what he's doing. Baffling though this is, Batman and Robin leave him with the police and return to Wayne Manor, which is empty and dark since Alfred quit in Night's Quest. Imagine their surprise, therefore, when upon their return, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a glass of milk await them. It's Alfred! But not Alfred as we know him. Rather, the fat, clean-shaven wannabe detective, Alfred Beagle, from Batman issue 16, from back in 1943. The Batman explains the situation to Alfred, who is understandably forlorn by the news. He's sent off to rest, and Batman runs through his files regarding the earlier Stein mystery. He finds a computer file on Biff Bannon, and every time I was writing this I wanted to write Biff Tannen. Yeah. And Andy Goodwin, who develop a drug that hypnotises respectable businessmen into robbing their own companies, depositing the loot with Bannon and Goodwin, and then returning with no memory of what had transpired. It's a very smart drug. It's a very clever drug. Yeah. Batman deduces Bannon's probable location, and he and Robin leave over Alfred's protests. Seems, as an amateur detective, he wanted to go along, but Batman kindly but firmly lets him down. After all, his clumsiness has already cost them a computer and a framed picture. Batman and Robin arrive at Bannon's place and are taken in by Goodwin's drug. Alfred, however, has ignored Bruce and followed them, but trips as he tries to apprehend Bannon and Goodwin. This enables the Batman to snap out of the control of the drug, because he's Batman, and he punches the crap out of Bannon and Goodwin. Alfred fades from sight. Oh. What do you think? I really like this issue. It, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. I really, I really like it. the Alfred in this. The original Alfred, yeah. Alfred Beagle. I, I couldn't tolerate him on a monthly basis, but 
in, in one story, I, I quite liked him. Hmm. I also quite liked all the different accents everyone has. Yeah, they, 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 Alan Grant does a good job of trying to um, to give everyone different cadence to the way they speak as well, doesn't he? Yeah. And Alfred... Is this more Michael Caine, Alfred? Probably. Than um, the Alfred that we normally... Live. We normally expect Alfred is very upper class. Only this Alfred doesn't cry when other Batman wants to go out. Come on, Salsa! More than I can understand, governor! Excuse me, I don't quite feel myself. I'm mixed up. Blessed if I know, sir. He does, yeah, my name is Alfred Beagle. Yeah. You're only supposed to blow off the bloody doors, Batman. Not going to die. <laughs> don't uh, shoot till you see the white of the Joker's face. <laughs> don't shoot until you fix the autopilot. Because, <laughs> you know, in that plane... That autopilot, that doesn't work. <laughs> Have we mentioned that? Master Bruce. Don't go out and be bad about Master Bruce. <laughs> I promised your parents I'd look after you. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Michael's right. Which is not words that I say, but... <laughs> and this was another really fun read that doesn't require you've read Zero Hour to understand everything that's going on. In fact, one of the things I'm getting from these stories is that creators are having real fun bringing back characters and concepts that they wouldn't ordinarily get to write. Being Scottish, Alan Grant gets to send up every upper-class snobbish attitude he's ever seen in this version of Alfred. But at the same time, he makes him a really sympathetic character. There's oodles of symbolism when he breaks the picture of our Alfred. And even though he's a clumsy oaf, there's something admirable and likeable about him, isn't there? Yeah. The ending, when he simply fades away... It's quite sad. It's yeah, it's oddly touching. Yeah. And especially the wordless final panel where Robin just waves him bye bye without saying anything. Which I thought I I, I actually teared up a bit. Yeah. And that it was oh that's really sad. It was almost akin to this month's action comics number thirteen. Yeah. With the crypto stuff and you're like, Oh But you didn't like the rest of the issue though. I didn't dislike the rest of the issue, but the crypto stuff was good. Mm. I just thought the Phantom Zone stuff was Grant Morrison going, oh, I'm being deliberately obtuse. And the Phantom Stranger in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, I didn't, you know. Maybe I should read it again, but I like the crypto stuff, and it's yeah. the same with this. You left at the end of it going, oh, that's really quite sweet. The actual plot is pretty perfunctory, isn't yeah. it? There's, you know, it's Andy Goodwin obviously being a stand-in for editor Archie Goodwin, and Biff Bannon as I've mentioned, just led me to write Biff Tannen every time. Um, but there's a little bit of humour. Bruce, upon hearing Tim's hypothesis that maybe this Alfred is time's way of righting a wrong, is a simple perish the thought. And one last look at an Alfred not only many of us thought we'd never see again, but many of us probably didn't even know about in the first place. No. It's an Alfred that has, by and large, faded from popular consciousness. Yeah. In many ways. Because Alfred was killed off. The timeline alteration here is obviously the appearance of the pre-crisis, pre-death Alfred Beagle, rather than the most svelte, mustachioed Alfred Pennyworth we all know and love. Although, to be fair, he lost weight and gained the facial fuzz following the Batman serials in the early 1940s. So the comics have always been pawns of the movies. Yeah. Pretty much. He was killed in 1964, but resurrected due to the impending television series in 1966. See the earlier comments about being a pawn of the TV show. Oh, yeah. I read something about that. 
in, in a Batman issue. In a Batman issue? With Alfred Diner coming back. Yeah, I've got it. It's in that Dynamic Duos Archives volume one. Is it? He dies saving Batman and Robin's life from a landslide. Right. And he gets crushed, crushed under all the rocks. Well, I think I read it in another one of those Batman R.I.P. Everything happened. Everything that ever happened in a Batman comic actually happened stories. Yeah, they may have. Yeah. Because it, it is later revealed that Alfred didn't die. Yeah. And has been brainwashed by a bad guy. So it's it's not really a retcon to say he died, but then came back. They had, they brought him back in continuity. Yeah, they didn't just pretend it never happened. But one of the the things that is a popular misconception is that Aunt Harriet was created for the television show when she appeared in the comics before the television show. Yeah. Now it's entirely possible that the the comic producers knew the TV show was happening and so did it in the comic but I think Aunt Harriet appeared, first appeared in 1964 which is two years no one year before the TV series will have started being made mm. it debuted in January 66 so they'll have started making it in the summer of 65 won't they yeah so it's possible that they knew Aunt Harriet was going to be part of the TV show oh but if they knew that when they introduced Aunt Harriet why did they kill off Alfred yeah so. And got rid of her soon after the TV show ended. Yeah, well, memory could be cheating though. Um, ads in this one are slightly different. There's an advert for Zero Month, which the beginning of tomorrow, have any color which in is it. black and white on the interior color, which yeah. I understand never happened. Is <laughs> my understanding yeah. of that? There's a great Star Trek: The Next Generation advert where the Mona Lisa has um, the Star Trek nipple punch badge on, and an Enterprise badge. and an Enterprise in the background, Enterprise D, still the eyebrows. Uh, a bold new era for the Teen Titans, none of which I recognise. I don't know who any of those people are. Uh, Green Arrow is out of Seattle and in your face. In your face! They brought you Nightfall. Now Jim Aparo, Chuck Dixon, Alan Grant, Doug Ment, and Kevin Dooley and Jerry Fernandez bring you Green Arrow 81 to 90, Crossroads. Green Arrow seems to be wearing a different costume. I presume this is post Mike Grell. Yeah. Because he looks like he's firmly entrenched in the DC universe. Uh, George Takai's Mr. Sulu gets his own spin-off trade paperback. Star Trek Tests of Courage. Oh my! <laughs> I presume I think that's hello. just a, a re- hello. I think that's just a reprint of stories that was in a Star Trek comic. Galactus. But it's very good. And Natural Born Killers, starring Woody Harrelson, Juliet Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones, is on the back cover. Which uh, I'm at the cinema watching Natural Born Killers. Okay. Uh, I remember quite enjoying it, but I don't think I've watched it since. I think I only ever saw it that once. It's a bit weird. It's a lot weird. That's probably what I enjoyed about it. I quite enjoyed it. Very ahead of its time, Natural Born Killers. Uh, all about media manipulation and how the media tell you what they want you to hear. Why am I telling you what Natural Born Killers is about, then? Maybe you weren't watching it with that other woman. Yeah, maybe you think so you weren't watching that one with the other woman. Yeah. Moving swiftly on, <laughs> Detective Comics 678 has a cover by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna of Thomas, Martha and little Bruce Wayne looking over the bleeding body of the Batman whilst a criminal legs it in the background. Absolutely fantastic, especially with the spotlights, presumably streetlights, being the only source of illumination. Yesterday's Gone was written by Chick Dixon, pencilled by Graham Nolan, inked by Bob McLeod, lettered by John Costanza, coloured by Adrian Roy, and the editors were Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. The Batman returns to Wayne Manor after a quiet evening to find Thomas and Martha Wayne alive and well after young Bruce dived in front of the bullets that had their names on. He tries to steal back into the cave, but is found by Alfred. 
He relates a tale that only he and Alfred could know, but when Alfred is distracted by Martha Wayne, the Batman disappears into the night. He finds the spot in Crime Alley now featuring a chalk outline of a small child, but this Batman knows the killer's name. The Batman sets about tracking down Joe Chill. Batman finds Chill strung out on coke. It wasn't him. Desperate, the Batman makes his way back to the manor. Realising his parents are alive, he can talk to them, and they to him. The police are hot on his tail, however. His car, the Waynes having reported it stolen, is now too hot to be on the streets. He races down the bridle path behind the manor, the car shot to hell. But he's close enough now, he can run. Finally, to talk to his parents. He sprints the last hundred yards to arrive at a manor exactly as he left it. Time run like a freight train. Reality realigned, but different. The Batman never brought his parents' killer to justice. But does that make a difference to what he does? Never. Well, I, I think this is my favourite issue of the lot. Was it? Yeah. The mighty Chuck Dixon strikes again. Yeah, I thought the art was great in it. The art's brilliant in it. Bob McLeod is the inker. And um, I love Bob McLeod's stuff, but he can occasionally come across as a bit stiff. Yeah. But he's fantastic here over Graham Nolan. Mm. And I liked Alfred in it for what little time he was in it. For the, yeah, for his little cameo appearances. Yeah. And I thought the twist ending with the killer not being Joe Chill was great. But my favourite part was the end where there's so much tension being built yeah. up to Bruce find himself back in his own time and let down. Yeah. He's wasted that time trying to shut down Joe Chill without realising that, wait a minute, my mum and dad are alive here. Yeah. I can talk to them. I can let them know it's going to be okay. And the final almost splash page of him just breaking down in front of the manor that he's still knackered mm. after Jean-Paul, it's, it's another gut-wrenching ending. It's really, really good. As fun as the other issues have been, here comes the mighty Chuck Dixon, the most underrated Batman writer ever, to put another sterling issue in the back of the net. From the opening page, where Batman's internal monologue informs us that, with no Alfred, I'm left alone with Bruce Wayne. Dreadful company. We have nothing in common. Show him what an excellent grasp Dixon has of the characters. Even more tellingly, Bruce smiles when he says that. Yeah. You remember that when Batman was allowed to smile? Yeah. To Bruce openly weeping when he sees his parents alive. This starts strong and just gets better and better as it goes on. The past few issues have all been seen from the point of view of the characters appearing in our timeline. But here, Bruce is the man out of time and it's just simply glorious. The art in this issue is sublime. Bob McLeod bringing out the best in Nolan's pencils with lovely little touches. Alfred's double take on page seven when Batman just pulls his disappearing act. The newspaper on page eight that proclaims as a headline, Scientists Witness Distant Supernova, which is obviously heralding the arrival of the last son of Krypton, and runs the gamut from awesome full-page splashes of Batman taking out the denizens of the pool hall on page nine, to the Batman disappearing into the shadows at the bottom of page 7, to the wonderfully spooky shot of Angry Eyes Batman on page 8, to the why isn't this a poster shot of Batman leaping from a rooftop 
into the Gotham night, all silver colours and shading as the full moon looms in the background. God, this was good. Dixon milks every emotional beat out of the final pages as Bruce realises that he can talk to his parents and then crushes the reader and Bruce on the final page. As Michael said in his short but eloquent write-up, the the pacing in the last third of this book is just fantastic as Bruce just rushes to get home, being pursued by the police. It's sublime and emotion-packed writing. Even with this zero-hour alteration that Bruce never caught the killer of his parents, which I have to confess I don't like and never did like it. This is such a powerful issue. It hurdles the obstacle effortlessly to deliver an issue that packs quite the punch. The art looks quite Bollandy as well. Yeah, it does have a... The cars especially. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Very Brian Bolland feel to the artwork. What did you think of the the post-zero-hour idea that Bruce never caught the killer of his parents? Well, I don't, I don't really mind it. But we were reading... I've read this before, but reading it now, having read the, the new Dark Knight issue zero before this, it kind of felt like it was the same story, really. They've not, they've not changed much for Batman. No. In post, I mean, George Shields killed his parents in the new one. Yeah, but he's still the the drug addict who just did it for money. Yeah, it's that's. See, I liked that new Fifty Two change. Yeah. To me, that makes more sense. Yeah, having it the Joker be linked. Well, having it be the Joker is just dumb. But having it be linked to some overall story plan takes some of the pathos away from it. Yeah. The whole idea is his parents were killed by a random mugging, which was better when Bruce built it up as. Yeah, Bruce thinks, no, I can't accept my parents were killed randomly. Yeah. Just a random event. He wants there to be something more to it, and when there isn't, it crushes him. Mm. But we'll get to that when we get there. Um, Do I need to mention that the obvious timeline discrepancy here is that Bruce was killed, but his parents survived? Nope. Thought not. Moving on. See, I think my, my love of that comes from the fact one of the first Batman stories I ever read was the origin of Batman, where he caught yeah. Joe Chill. So in my head, that from is being how it is. from 1978 onwards, that's how it was. Yeah. So I'd, I'd never bought a great world's greatest detective who didn't track down his parents' killers. Mm. Because in the comics, his reason for being isn't to track down his parents' killers he's already done that yeah in the films there's always this implication if he tracks down his parents with killers he'll give up being Batman yeah but that's not why he does it he does it so that no child will ever suffer as he did mm. and whether he catches his killer's parents or Which not that makes no difference why he takes him to Grayson yeah and ultimately all the other Robins parents killers even yeah, parents killers even thank you very much you show up says and then witty and then wander away <laughs> Say hello on our wanderers episode, Angela. Hello and happy 100 epi- ep- episodes. Even 100 yeah. epitaphs. <laughs> episodes. Um, you can speak as well as each other. To read makes our speaking English good. The final zero hour issue that we're going to cover before we move on to the zero issues themselves is Robin Ten, which has a fantastic cover. By Tom Grummet and Ray Chrising. The reason you like it because it's Tom Grummet. Yeah, I love if Tom Grummet. If any other artist did that same cover, possibly. I'm, I'm not disputing that because yeah. Phil Jimenez t- 
takes over Robin for a couple of issues as a prodigal. Does it? Which I am deep into making the notes for as we, as we record this. I'm and I love Phil Jimenez. Yeah. But he's not Tom Grummet. I suppose, but Dan reading it, still reading Invisibles at the moment, and his art is... Yeah, oh, Phil Jimenez is great. Yeah. He's really good. But to me, Tom Grummet defined this character. Yeah. This is what Tim Drake looks like. And when other artists draw it, I don't know what it is. Why is it difficult to draw teenagers? Because they're not children, but they're not adults. It's the size of them. So it's hard to get that right. Yeah. Right. But Grummet draws a teenage boy. Yeah. And he draws him well. And in my head, this is what Tim Drake looks like. So I think this is a fantastic cover. It's got the Robin of today, Tim Drake, lurking on a rooftop. Rooftop, even. As the Robin of yesterday, Dick Grayson proposed to pounce from behind. It's cool. Especially for a long-time wingnut like me. Entitled Two Birds, One Stone, it was written by Chuck Dixon, penciled by Tom Grummet, inked by Ray Kreising, lettered by Albert Tobias. Albert Tobias de Guzman. Wow, he's got a middle name in this one. Colorist, Adrian Roy, edited by Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill. Whilst out trying to track down noted jewel thief and escape artist Chet the Weasel Grimes, Robin meets Robin. In other words, the screwed-up timeline has crossed the streams, allowing Tim Drake, a.k.a. Robin 3, to have some face time with the original Robin, Dick Grayson. Tim quickly brings Dick up to speed on the time anomaly, but they are interrupted by the police scanner, which informs the Teeny Titans that Grimes is on the run down the parkway with the cops in hot pursuit. Grimes loses the coppers, but Tim and Dick in Redbird, Tim's swanky wheels, track Grimes to the Gotham Aquarium. The Robins pursue Grimes, avoiding sharks, bullets, orca the killer whale, and Tim's feelings of inadequacy when put up against Dick. We often feel that way when put up against Dick. But Grimes takes a header into the piranha tank. Alas, without Kelly Brook to enhance the scene, Grimes has all his flesh gnawed off his bones. The police arrive to declare the case closed, but Tim deduces that the black piranha are not flesh eaters, and the skeleton was a plant, presumably one of Peter Parker's old clones that he's not using anymore. From there, it's a simple matter to find Grimes, recover the stolen diamond, and disappear in a blinding flash of quantum leap-esque light. Well, that's it, Robin. You've done it again. Now, I've never really been overly fond of Robin, so... Ah, is this an age thing? I don't know. Because although... If, that, if it's by that well, logic, surely I'd enjoy it more than you. See, no. If you think about it, you were born in 95. Yeah. So you started watching the Batman animated cartoons before you were reading the comics. Yeah. Most of those early cartoons don't have Robin in. Or he'll show up in one episode. Yeah, there's a handful of episodes in the in the first 65 shows mm. that have Robin in. Christmas with the Joker, Robin's Reckoning, and there's a couple of others, isn't there? Yeah. But primarily, Robin doesn't become a central character until the second season, the aptly named Adventures of Batman and Robin. Yeah. So, if you grew up watching them with me, which you did, mm-hmm. then you grew up essentially being locked in your head, even though you probably aren't aware of it, of Batman working alone. And then Eula started reading the comics at the time when Robin wasn't a consistent part of the books. Yeah, but in, it was... With watching the animated series, I always preferred Nightwing over Robin. And so th- there was a time where I'd read Nightwing and not Batman. Yeah, well, we've got all the Chuck Dixon Nightwing trades and both of us have read them a couple of times. Yeah. Because I love what Chuck Dixon did on Nightwing. Mm. But so I always preferred Nightwing to Robin. Right, see, I had the emotional connection that Dick Grayson, as Robin, grew up to be Nightwing. Yeah. So I kind of followed that progression. Whereas you 
grew up knowing that he was Nightwing, but uh-huh. had been Robin. Yeah. But you never got attached to any of the other Robins. No. Even Jason Todd. No. Who you didn't particularly... I knew he, he died. He, yeah, he got beaten up by the Joker, and that was it. Yeah. That was pretty much all you knew. All right, I, I thought that may have just been an age thing. All right. But, um, for, for this, for some reason, Dick got on my nerves in this issue. I'm not sure why, just the, the whole... He does come across as being, I know everything. Yeah. And I'm good... No, I'm good at everything. Yeah. No, I know everything. Which is more annoying. Hmm. Especially seeing as he is quite self-effacing as a person. Yeah. But the fact that he's good at everything is always something that really pisses me off about people. If you meet somebody who's a really nice guy but good at everything, yeah. you instantly think, why am I not you? But there's that with, with from reading it, like we're reading it with Tim. Yeah. The way Dick acts to him is kind of condescending, so you, you kind of get annoyed at him quickly. Yeah. But, um, and I'm also not sure if I buy the whole. I know everything Tim either like I know he's clever and I know he's trained by Batman but can he I don't buy into that he can teleport different piranhas and their eating habits from just looking at them see I was just looking at that does he not spot he he thinks there's something fishy whoa clever when he sees the, the skeleton but then outside he's like that's it yeah, see, cause, see, I didn't have a problem with that because again, I thought Chuck Dixon delivered another sensational issue, which I'm sure you're shocked at mm. that I thought Chuck Dixon did another issue. Um, see, Tim Drake avoid every single one of Dick Grayson's questions, spot references to Jaws, Orca, and Piranha. Witness Tim showing more detective nouns than Dick, but still feel useless next to Grayson's superlative acrobatic skills and through it all. Gape at the wonderful Grummet Chrysing artwork. So I, again, the story's perfunctory. Yeah. The story is a standard Robin Foyles a jewel heist. Essentially the same as Detective Comics and Shadow of the Bat. The story was perfunctory. Yeah. But that wasn't what it was about. No. The story was about Tim Drake meeting Dick Grayson as a young man. The ink. The ink was a bit off on this. Did you? Heavy. That, that's first splash page, yeah. It makes Grummet's art look different Doug Hazelwood is the best inker for Tom Grummet but no I still like this I still think this is really good it it is a little convenient how Grimes could get out of an aquarium from the inside Mm. I thought aren't those things really tall and really slippy yeah so I don't know how he managed that but I, I thought the character moment saved the day to be fair this is probably the least of the bat books as like I've said there's no story to this no but I thought that this was just jolly good fun. Yeah. You, your mileage may vary. But you've not liked any of the Robin books when we covered them for Nightfall and Night's Quest and Night's End, have you? Well, it's not that like I disliked them. It's just it's just not your back. Yeah. Whereas I've been loving them. I keep meaning to hunt the back issue bins for Chuck Dixon's run on Robin and fill in the gaps in his detective comics run that I'm missing. Because mm. every time I've read a Chuck Dixon one of these, I've, I've thought it was brilliant. Um... Every single one of the books that shipped this week featured the quantum leap fade to white in the last few pages and had no letters or even ads at the back to sell the illusion that time had just faded away. Which I thought was quite cool. Um, Dick Grayson showing up to say hi to Tim Drake. That enough of a timeline discrepancy for you? There's minor advertisement differences. 
in this issue. The same American Comics advert as there was before. But the Batman Adventures comic features a team-up between Superman and Batman before the cartoons would do it. Mm. Long-haired Superman. Long-haired Superman with art by Mike Much-Missed Parabek. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the other artists in it. Dave Gibbons. Yeah. Um, Mike Minula. Kelly Jones um, and Chuck Dixon. They don't strike me as Batman animated type artists. I'd have to dig it out and see how well they did in the animated milieu. Yeah. I'd have to have a look at that because I, I have got that issue. Um, I love the advert for the time and time again trade paperback. The, the title was Lost in Time, Bouncing from the Past to the Future and Battling to Return to His Own Time. Superman strives to put right what once went wrong yeah. and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. The acclaimed miniseries presented again. It's really good, that, isn't it? Yeah. Featuring characters from the pivotal Zero Hour event, i.e. Superman. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think Time Rider's in there somewhere as well. But, uh, Hawkman gets his own series. I don't know if that's brand new, by William Messner Lobes. That was Hawkworld, wasn't it? Was it Hawkworld? No, it's just called Hawkman. Well, he's all... Stabby and 90s and... Yeah, he's all stabby and 90s. This was Zero, so this is around Hartwell, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the Ray gets an advert and then there's nothing at the back because everyone fades to white. Zero Month bled into issue zero as the beginning of tomorrow began. Following the disappearance of the DCU into the Quantum Leap Accelerator, an entire month of zero issues appeared on the shelves in the October 94 cover dated books. The Bat Books began on the 16th of August 1994 with Batman Zero, written by Doug Mensch, with art by Mike Manley, inks by Joe Rubenstein, Ken Bruzenak, and Adrian Roy, lettered and coloured. The editings on this particular issue were by Jordan B. Garfinkel and Danny O'Neill. The cover, also by Manley, was, as with all of the Zero Month covers, a symbolic hero shot of the Batman on a rooftop, cape billowing in the breeze with the bat signal shining in the background. Perfectly fine. But what really pops on the cover is the silver ink used for the logo and the zero of the issue number. Very eye-catching. As it was on all of the covers that month that were Vertigo, Milestone and Media tie-ins. I want a silly minus one. I want a silly minus one. I wonder if you had to read them backwards. You know, that was Marvel like minus one. Yeah, if they did a minus one, does that mean the story starts on the back page? <laughs> and all the panels are flipped over <laughs> as they have to get a mirror to, to read. read it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an intriguing idea, though. It is, actually. You should publish a comment like that. I should. Creature of the Night. Creature of the Night! When I opened this, I thought it was a Christmas issue. Why? Just look at that font. You thought that said Christmas? No, I didn't think it said Christmas. I thought it was a Christmas issue because the font... The font looked christmas yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Creature of the Night. I will, I will refrain from singing any more Rocky Horror. Christmas of the Night. Christmas of the Night! Um, begins with the Batman, summoned by Commissioner Gordon to the third random mugging this night. Random muggings all killed with the same gun. The Batman promises to look into it, but this Batman is not the confident creature of the night of old. This one, despite feeling whole again, is concerned if he even has a place in the world. In the cave, he looks at the changes wrought by Jean-Paul, the shooting gallery, the destroyed forensic equipment. As he ponders, his mind returns to the past, who he is, how he came to be. The fall, when he discovered the cave, the death of his parents, a killer never found. He leaves to return to the scene of the most recent crime. 
Three clues. A matchbook, clay on the wall where the killer rested his foot, fingerprints on the matchbook. At the cave, the partial print proves useless. The matchbook, less so, originating in only a few places in Gotham City. The clay on the wall narrows the search down further. The Gotham River. The clubs and bars. A night spent hunting, piecing together clues and intuition plays its part. He remembers the training, arranging to be left at Wayne Manor, the study at the feet of the Masters. His apprentices, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, his failures. He tracks a man who fits the profile, an alleyway where a man and his child walk home. The man attacked gun pointed at the heart of the father. The Batman strikes. Two lives saved. But can Bruce Wayne do what he needs to do and walk away from it all? Ah, you want to fire up first on this one? Well, I didn't have really have any opinions on this one. And it, it didn't feel like there was any story to it. It, it felt like a mixture of Batman's origin weaved into a Night's End epilogue. Yeah. Um, if I have a complaint of the Zero issues... It, they, they do get a nine if you read them all back to back. It does. They do recap his origin in every one of them. Yeah. Which is fair enough. You may only be reading one of the books. Mm-hmm. But it does feel padded. Yeah. It really felt here like they wanted to go straight from Night's End to Prodigal. Yeah. And the fact that Zero Hour was here, they had to put that off for a couple of issues. We mentioned when we did Night's End that we wondered if that was rushed mm. because Zero Hour was happening. Yeah. And they wanted to get that storyline out of the way quickly. I do wonder if if they'd known that was going to happen, would they have made Night's Quest shorter and spent longer on Night's End? But we'll never know, mm. I suppose. We won't know that one. It was nice to see Matches Malone, though. It, I love Matches Malone. Yeah. I think Matches Malone is great. Um, yeah, I agree with you entirely. It's more of a mixed bag than the Zero Month issue. By and large, this just feels like a retread, like like you said. Yeah. The purpose of Zero Hour wasn't to completely reboot and retool the DC Universe, just to refine and streamline. However, for the most part, Batman continuity didn't need streamlining. So we get more confirmation in this issue than retelling or refining. And to be honest, some of the things that that are streamlined don't need to be. A far simpler solution to the question of how Bruce ended up not being carted off to the orphanage is that Alfred was named his legal guardian, as per the Wayne's wishes. Here, we get this rather convoluted explanation that Bruce hacked into the state computer and made it so his paperwork was lost paperwork, sorry, was lost in the system I actually think that creates more problems than it solves Yeah, because then you've got the issue of Bruce, even as a child, is depicted as being a prominent citizen of Gotham and then he, he can't ever argue when he wants to own Wayne Industries yeah, and yeah. It's, it's like even assuming the paperwork was lost in the system how, therefore, does Alfred end up as Bruce's legal guardian at school? Mm. Why does school never go, who's looking after you, Bruce? Because they can't not know his parents are dead. Who who, who in school doesn't go, wait a minute, why do we not have Bruce Wayne on any of these records? Yeah, that's a good point. Because yeah. these records would have to come from somewhere, wouldn't they? Yeah. So it's... Mm, I mean, we see an example of school there's a scene where we learn he's an A student in classes that appeal to his interest but a D in classes that have no burden on his life's mission did Ledley Tompkins introduced here as a doctor who guided and nurtured him never have to write a report on him did she never have to fill in a social worker's report on Bruce Mm. I mean perhaps worse 
is Alfred's introduction. The dialogue is just exposition laden with loads of stuff about him being a trained actor in Mimic, which is interesting in regards to Batman's butler, because it explains how he can do what he does. Yeah. It's completely unrealistic in the context of a job interview. And irrelevant to a butler. And irrelevant to a butler. It's got nothing to do with the job he's applying for. Wow, you can act. Now, can you make me a cup of tea? Yeah, wow, Uh-oh. you can act. That's going to help you when you clean the silverware. It's just, you know, it, it just felt shoehorned in all that exposition about him being gifted in vocal mimicry and, and stuff. Yeah. I can see Thomas and Martha going, yeah, that's nice. Can you iron? And it's... it's Once again, that was much more... Uh, better played off in the newest stuff. You think? Worry's dad knew he was going to die, so said, uh, you got to carry on here, Alfred. Oh, yeah, when he... Well, I think that was established before that his dad was the Wayne's butler. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure that but, was was that pre-crisis? Yeah, I don't know that, but it, it's like Alfred, I'm going to die, so can you come and take over here? Yeah. Whereas in this one, he's retired. Yeah, he's not actually dead, is he? Your father speaks of you eloquently. It says here. Can you retire from being a butler? I, I presume so. They can't wait you till you drop dead, can they? Well, what's the difference between a butler and like a servant? Or well, a he's not a butler. Yeah. Alfred is a gentleman's gentleman. Okay. Which back in ye olde days rich people would have a gentleman's gentleman. He wasn't just a butler, he was somebody who essentially took care of his affairs. Today you would call him a PA, yeah. essentially. The the personal assistant would work out their calendar and sort out their appointments. It wasn't just a butler. Mm. And Alfred refers to himself as Bruce's gentleman's gentleman. Yeah. He's the guy who essentially runs Bruce's life because Bruce is busy running Wayne Industries. Mm. Officially. But now he's become a butler. But now he's just become a butler because it's shorthand. I prefer him as a gentleman's gentleman. Yeah. Because that's a much better job title for what Bruce does. He doesn't just clean up the manor. Mm. He fixes the car, doesn't he? And polishes the poles and all that stuff. Unofficially. Unofficially. So, I prefer gentleman's gentleman to butler. But, yeah, you know, whatever. Likewise, we see page after page of flashback and present day showing how competent a detective Bruce is, how meticulously he is at going over evidence even as a child, yet he never found the killer of his parents. See, that's why I don't buy it, and never yeah. did. That was the one zero-hour change I didn't approve of. I understand why they did it, Yeah. but to me, it makes his motivation more vengeance-driven, whereas I've never perceived Batman as being a vengeance-driven character. The Punisher is. Yeah. Batman isn't. And to me, that's the difference. The Punisher snapped when his family was killed and became the Punisher. Mm. Batman keeps Bruce Wayne sane. Yeah. Is my take on it. Everyone says, Batman would have to be insane. No. Batman is what keeps Bruce Wayne from snapping. Yeah. Is my interpretation of it. Your mileage may vary. Um, I didn't... I wasn't as down on it as you. I thought it was a fine issue in and of itself. But... It doesn't really add anything, and it just adds more problems, to be honest with you. A minor note, this Bruce Wayne was eight when his parents died. And I found it odd he's not got the mansion fixed yet. Surely Bruce can afford a few builders. <laughs> he's not just got in touch with anyone said, can you fix a few windows? Give him uh, a quote. How, how good are you at fixing a, a cave blindfolded? Well, he'll have to do all that himself. Yeah. But um, he could get the manor fixed, couldn't he? Surely he could get somebody in to to sort out the windows uh, the best advert in this one is for Comics Cavalcade the back issue experts which again it doesn't really have a hot comics section 
and it's very very tiny print mm. but Crisis on Infinite Earths is selling for twenty dollars for issue eight. Did we see that flight of pound? Yeah, we, we've seen them in the pound bins. The cheapest issue is five dollars an issue. Issue three hundred of Superman sells for fifteen dollars. Issue four hundred for eighteen dollars. The Alan Moore issue sell for twenty dollars. All of which you can now pick up in the pound bins mm-hmm. if you're uh, if you're a, a wise shopper these days. A wire shopper waits 20 years to buy his comics. Yeah, he waits 20 years to buy his comics, yeah. I don't, I don't see you probably waiting <laughs> 20. Do you, do you have no patience, dude? We well, um, waited that long for Multiversity, so... Yeah, The Death of Luther sells for $25. Which, you know... The first appearance of Doomsday sells for $25. Again, you can pick that up in the 50p bins. Are these bleeding cool adverts? No, no, no. Well, these are just the, the hot comics of the day, weren't they? as it was at that point. Shadow of the Bat Zero came out on August 23rd, 1994, which has an absolutely gobsmacking cover from Brian Stelfreeze. The Batman is on a grid that's lit from underneath, presumably preparing to pounce on some unsuspecting evildoer. The light from underneath means that Batman is underlit, so the Shadow of the Bat, see what they did there, yeah. is on the roof above him. It's wonderful. If you're going to do a poster cover, it's- this is how you do a poster cover. Yeah. I'd, we always say this when we look yeah, at Yeah, when we do Brian Stelfreeze's covers. I'd, I'd have that as a poster. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It's helped, again, by the, the silver ink. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that silver ink, but it just makes the covers look gorgeous. The issues look flatter as well. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. I can't quite describe that. They, they look squirrer. It's brilliant. It's an exceptionally good cover. The issue has no subtitle. It's written by Alan Grant, with art by Brett Blevins, lettered by Todd Klein. Colourist was Adrian Roy. The Batman sees a bunch of second-string criminals flee the scene of a second-string heist. He plants a bat tracer on them he borrowed earlier from Spider-Man and heads off. For tonight, he has bigger fish to fry. The second-stringers don't notice Batman leave the scene as they hide in one of those convenient abandoned warehouses that litter the Gotham streets. The Batman, meantime, is after the Stone Brothers mob hitmen known only for taking the primo jobs. He's already prevented them from making their target, gang boss Mick Malloy, and he's now taking them down. The second-stringers, however, are panicking. They tell tales of the Batman, how he's a vampire who sucks the blood out of guys when he catches them. A floorboard overhead creaks and they open fire, wildly. The Batman, meanwhile, attacks Damon and Victor Stone using techniques picked up on the road. Karate, Sabate, Juso and Jiu-Jitsu, and the Secret of Tao. He mastered a dozen disciplines and fused them into something unique. On st- one Stone Brother down. In the warehouse, the second stringers continue to soil their pants. He's just a man, they say. With a man's courage. I know it. But they are spooked. The second Stone Brother has fled. The Batman uses tracking techniques learned in Africa to find people, signs that others miss, to eat things that will make a billy goat puke. He tracks Victor Stone, who takes a bum hostage. The ninjas taught the Batman psychology, physiology, and the secrets of the shadows to win a battle before it's fought, to take precautions and use fear. Victor Stone, no matter his military training, is no match for the Batman. The Batman speeds quickly over town following the tracer signal. He steals himself for another fight, but the second stringers, freaked out purely by his reputation, turn themselves in without so much as a punch being through. The next night, the Batman patrols the streets again. Gotham City after dark is hell on earth, but in this hell, the demon is on the side of the angels. 
Go on. I actually didn't like this issue. No. Me neither. No. It, it was just an extended fight scene with another... Well, the same origin. Yeah. Placed in it while some kids scurred themselves over Batman. And I didn't even like the art about it. That wasn't enough to redeem it. No. Um. Yeah, again... I agree entirely. It's another mixed bag. There's a lot of repetition from Batman Zero, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and this issue, although new wrinkles are added to the years Bruce spent training, we learn that in addition to the ways of the woman, he also learned the ways of the warrior and has over the years fused this into a unique fighting style. Probably not as daft as the Scarecrow's crane technique. Yeah, I would hope, but whatever. We also learned that for a short time he worked as part of the FBI, which to me made no sense. Yeah. What would the Gotham press make of a Bruce Wayne that worked for the FBI? They'd be all over that, wouldn't they? But no, there's no such thing as a Bruce Wayne. No. And it's it's never never been mentioned again after this issue. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they think mm, maybe that was a mistake, so they never referred to it again. If it was an Elseworld story, it could work. Yeah. Um, the first subplot is very predictable. If you've read any number of modern-day Batman stories, you're aware that amongst his weaponry are such diverse elements as fear, surprise, ruthless efficiency, and an almost fanatical devotion to Gotham City. And a nice black cape. And the second stringers turning themselves in without a fight was so obvious, I thought Grant was going to throw us a curveball, but alas, no. But no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> the Stone Brothers are never any real threat for Batman, so this amounts to little more than an origin recap with a few tidbits for us to muse over. It's not bad, by any means, mm. is it? It's an enjoyable read, it's fast-paced and some lovely touches to the art, my favourite being Dirt Mag's radio on the first page. It's just very pedestrian. Yeah compared to the normally excellent work Alan Grant normally did on the book. Again, it fuels our theory that this was padded out so they could get to Prodigal. Yeah. Um, I do love the Bob Kane-inspired shot on page 23. Mm. And I do love that the zero-hour changing of timeline has meant that he's now driving the old 1940s Batmobile. Yeah. Which I thought was quite good. But, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. It isn't awful... By any story, we've just spent three weeks covering Maximum Carnage. <laughs> this was good. Yeah. But not... But not great. But not Shadow of the Bat good. No. We expect better from Shadow of the Bat, don't we? The DC Universe page in this one has Zero Hour for Earth, a Daily Planet mock-up, where Superman says that the crisis in time was averted and explains the strange phenomenon. Neil Posner, who was an editor, who was uh, barely 40 years old when he died, uh, of AIDS, I think which is quite sad. Um, I don't think there's any other interesting adverts in this one. There's the same Hawkman advert that we got earlier on. Which isn't in colour. Which isn't in colour. Starman, which everybody tells me is awesome, but I've never read. Never read. Primal Force, which I've never heard of. was a comic by Stephen T. Seagal. Manhunter by Stephen Grant and Vince Giarano. Looks very 90s. Looks very 90s. Rebels 94. Which oh, I've never heard looks like an Eminem cover. Does it? Yeah. And The Ray is apparently back, which is fair enough. Detective Comics Zero has another splendid cover of Batman and Robin leaping over the Gotham rooftops, the ubiquitous bat signal in the background. The art by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna is gorgeous, some great body language. Batman is all coiled spring and taut musculature. I can never say mus- musculature. Musculature. 
he's muscly <laughs> whilst Robin is a bundle of joyous energy the dusk sky is coloured magnificently and again the silver inking highlights the logo and issue number a really wonderful example of an eye catching post type cover choice of weapons I've suddenly got images of Christopher Walken dancing now Okay. That was Weapon of Choice, wasn't it? By Fat Boy Slim. No, Choice of Weapon. The other way around. Very good video, though. You used to watch that all the time as a kid. Did I? Yeah, you used to be on the, the video music channel on Heavy Rotation as a child, and you watched that a lot, that right. video. But so Christopher Walken's walking. Yeah, he's just dancing. Right, yeah. Christopher Walken's just dancing around to yeah. uh, Weapon of Choice by Norman Cook, aka Fat Boy Slim. Once again, it was written by Chuck Dixon without by Nolan and Hannah, Adrian Roy Cullard, again. John Costanza Letter, to Dad and Vincenzo, was the assistant editor, and Scott Peterson, the editor. Once again, we're treated to flashbacks and current day events, as in the midst of a heated battle. The Batman's mind wanders back to the day he decided to become a bat. After Alfred points out that his duties don't really extend to chauffeuring around vigilantes, Bruce decides that he will need a vehicle. At Wayne Tech, Lucius informs him of an urban assault cruiser, still in the prototype stages, being designed for SWAT and the FBI. Bruce cans the project, and Lucius is surprised, and orders that Wayne Enterprises move out of military projects altogether. Later, while exploring the underground caverns he discovered as a boy, Bruce discovers a huge cave underneath the manor. With Alfred's assistance and the signature of the head of Wayne Industries, which was hard for them to get, I would imagine, a disguised Bruce relocates all the equipment he benched to the cave, having redesigned the interior with a staircase and an entranceway. He practices with non-lethal weapons, declaring guns to be the weapon of a coward, and designs different outfits for different needs and weather patterns. He muses over his enemies and allies as he systematically destroys the kidnappers in the present day. Holding two children for ransom, the Batman takes down each kidnapper leaving only the ringleader who surrenders without a fight, as fear will keep these criminals in line. Fear of this battle station. Sorry, fear of the Batman. The police arrive, some of the criminals will need hospitalisation, notes Bullock, and these kids may carry the scars with them a long time. Some, Commissioner Gordon notes, watching as the Batman disappears into the night, carry them for a lifetime. You know, this issue would have been a lot better if it was all... If it was all stealthy Batman's raid on a drug den to save the hostages. But again, due to reading the back back to back, the origins start getting boring, it just seems so padded. Yeah. There is Because a lot of these issues could have been good if they weren't so padded. There is a a current comics idea that you have to explain everything. everything. Yeah. And to me, the minute you start saying that Bruce left home when he was seven point six years old. Well, he counted up. Seven and three when he was quarters. 18, as soon as he left high school, it's at 18 and three quarters, yeah. he left home and he returned home at 24.6 and he spent this many months in Tibet and this many months here. And the minute you do that, you destroy the mythology. Yeah. Because once you start explaining it in such minute detail, you start There's being no able to. Yeah, to analyze. If you, to me, the best thing you can do with it is say he left home at 18. He came back when he was 24. Yeah. And over time, he'll just make little nods to the fact, yeah, I was in Tibet, and yeah, I did this in wherever. And you, But you don't actually explain what he did for those six to eight years or whatever, however long you decide he was away training. Yeah. Because that way, you've got much more leeway to be able to say, yeah, I did this. If you've mapped out everything he did from the minute he left Gotham to the minute he came back, you're instantly you've ruined suspension of disbelief yeah. and it's all gone.
So, yeah, this does feel like they're just explaining everything for the sake of explaining stuff. Mm. And I think there's there's a certain amount that you should be able to leave to your imagination. Uh, also, despite appearing on the cover, the Tim Drake Robin does not appear in this issue at all. And the Dick and Jason incarnations only appear for a panel apiece. Still, uh, I thought this was an enjoyable issue. Hmm. So much of it would go into Batman Begins, wouldn't it? Yeah. There's an awful lot of this that appears in Batman Begins. The flashbacks, which you weren't fond of. And I see your point. I take what you're saying about them. The weapon stuff was... Yeah. And to me, they were saved by Alfred's customary wit. Yeah. His lines about bulletproof fibre being a bugger to sew. And the utility belt containing everything except a note from Bruce's analyst were my personal favourites. Mm. But, but one thing, one thing I didn't get though: why, why was the military weapon in, in look, look like a sedan and not a tank? It, it doesn't say it's the military. Does, doesn't it say SWAT and the FBI? So, so it's an, an urban attack vehicle, not a military attack yeah, but what's vehicle. It, what's it doing, looking like? Because the a, FBI, a leisure cruiser. The FBI and SWAT want to be comfortable. <laughs> as they're cruising around town presumably well, they want to be comfortable when they're being shot at in a yeah, well presumably if you're being shot at you've done your job badly <laughs> yeah. presumably they want it for such a situation that if they, they ever needed it in. but they'd want to blend in yeah. you know like Marcus in Indiana Jones got lost in his own library yeah but like I said I loved Alfred but again whatever Frank Miller may have done giving us dry wit Alfred and an actual three dimensional Commissioner Gordon Gets him a pass off me for most things. Dixon again shows why he was premier Batwriter of the period, writing Batman as no nonsense in everything except his approach to children, where he smiles broadly, comforting them, playing back to the Batman nobody knows. Which isn't quite creepy in this. No, he's not creepy when he's dealing with kids. Yeah. Which I quite like. But when again, he's just smiling for the sake of it, it's. When he's smiling at bad guys, <laughs> it's like. Oh dear. Because I like the idea if Batman smiles at you, you're really in trouble. <laughs> That's my personal opinion of it. He's going to enjoy what happens. Yeah, if he's smiling at you, you're really, really in trouble. If he's just giving you the usual, I'm Batman, then you're just, you know, common variety crow. <laughs> yeah. But if he's grinning at you, he's enjoying it. Um, Bruce's line about guns I thought may be a bit controversial mm. with what he said about them, but. It's deeply rooted in character and again shows the writer checking his own ego and beliefs at the door in favour of the character, something that a lot of modern writers often fail to do. Nolan and Hannah deliver solid, clean lines with a number of standout panels. The Batman plummeting down a stirwell head first and the final shot of Batman disappearing into the night being particularly well rendered. But like Michael said, it does feel like a retread after the previous issues. I mean, it was an entertaining retread. Mm. I'll give it that. Didn't suck. But, yeah, the the constant harping on about his origins are starting to feel a bit... Yeah. ...a bit perfunctory at this point. The final Zero issue from 1994 that we're going to cover is Robin Zero, which has Robin Mark III vaulting through the Gotham Knight gaffy stick in hand. It's a perfectly serviceable poster cover by Tom Grummet and Ray Crising, enhanced again by the Silver Ink. I was quite a fan of the Silver Ink, yeah. which I think was better than pretty much any other cover enhancement. Do you know what I think? Over die cut. Yeah, just that Silver Ink. I mean, it's gloss. Just look out. It catches embossed. the light. Yeah. It's brilliant. 
So simple, yet much better than your 3D boss die cut, red hot, but also disappointing to stroke. There is that. I'll, I'll give you that, that, that maybe you don't want to stroke it. In this particular <laughs> instance. Because, you know, we're on a <laughs> Brothers in Arms, which now has me singing Die Straits. I don't know why that would be. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Chuck Dixon without by Tom Grummet and Ray Cries. In colours were again by Adrian Roy. He was very busy. Letters were by Albert de Guzman, assistant editor John Bigoff, and Clendenio Neal was the editor. Two Face languishes in jail, forced into therapy by two unseen psychoanalysts. After being pressed, Two Face admits that I don't hate Batman. I'll tell you, I hate. And I almost went into. Train spotting again, though. I don't hate the English. <laughs> it's wankers. But we were colonised by wankers. Which reminded me of train spotting, which amused me, I have to say. Robin and Nightwing bounce over the streets of Gotham. Nightwing is still wearing his terrible outfit, but at least the disco collar's gone. They alight upon a rooftop to spy a criminal gang in the process of busting through a safe. Nightwing says that if they wait to let them break through, they will have let their guard down, and whilst they are there, Robin takes the opportunity to grill Nightwing about how Batman picked him to be Robin. Nightwing elaborates on the night he was adopted and how it was months before he was told about Batman. Once trained, he took to the night as Robin the Boy Wonder. At first, it was a game. Until Two-Face. Apparently, Harvey Dent had kidnapped the new district attorney, Aldrich Meany, and Batman and Robin had to decide who lived and who died. Robin convinced Two-Face to toss the coin that decided who lived and who died, depending on if it lands scarred side up or not. The coin favoured Two-Face and he hung the DA. See what I did there? Slip me little Smith reference in. Robin fired off a batarang to cut the DA's noose, but it was a two-edged trap. The DA fell into the water below and, with his hands tied, he drowned. With the Batman still captive, Two-Face lay a smackdown on young Dick Grayson. Brutal and bloody. And the Batman watched it all. However, whilst all his men were distracted with Robin, Batman frees himself from the Two-Face trap and sets about punishing Two-Face and his cronies. As Dick tells his tale, this was the night of one of his greatest failures. As Two-Face tells it, this was Robin's big success. He distracted them so that Batman could get free and Two-Face realised that Batman's greatest weapon was Robin and that's why he hates Robin more than Batman. With that, Robin and Nightwing leap into the fray. Back in the cave... Bruce says he isn't ready to return. Not yet. But Gotham needs the Batman. And this time, it'll be Dick Grayson. I actually enjoyed this issue. I enjoyed this issue. Yeah. Now, whilst I find sitting on a roof and talking issues dull, yeah. although I haven't read all of Bendis' Avengers, <laughs> that, that, that would probably be why I find it quite dull. Mm. But um, I liked reading Dick's memories, but probably only because I like seeing it when superheroes slip and mess up. Which he does. Yeah. But it, it, it still seems a little silly that every major event in the Batverse takes place in Robin. That, that does... Especially when this <clears throat> event and the previous major event in Robin are the same. Yeah, um... I think that was more down to the publishing schedule, to be honest with you. That the yeah. big events have ended in Robin rather than one of the regular Bat books. Did you like the whole stories have two sides subtext that they went for? Yeah. With him in a two-faced story. Mm-hmm. I, I was very clever. Yeah. Especially seeing as he doesn't bang you over the head with it. 
it's one of those ah every story has two sides and it's a two it's clever yeah it's a wonderfully structured story not just in flashback and then present day like the other stories have been flashing back in between flashbacks in addition to Dick's tale the main story is told from both Two-Face and Dick's point of view along with flashbacks to other assignments Jason Todd's time as Robin and Tim Drake's baptism by fire and at no point does this become confusing even when it should the main story starts, is split up by other stories, and then concludes, which is why the synopsis that I wrote is just the main story in a much more linear style, because it's much easier to read a story that's all over the place than it is to tell you what happens in a story that's all over the place. It's just easy to streamline it and say this was the plot. Um, it goes without saying that the art's gorgeous because it's grummet, but the story is a little bit of a letdown for me in this one. While it's nice that the flashbacks aren't Batman orientated, yeah. so there's not as much repetition as there was in the other issues, I don't get that Two-Face would hate Robin more from this story than any other time he's been defeated. There's no emotional payoff or reason for Two-Face feeling that Robin beat him here. I know he's damaged goods, mm. um, and the Roshaman way the story plays out is well done, but I just felt that there would have been more of an emotional core to why Two-Face feels this way. I, I just felt as though Two-Face hated Robin as much as he does in this because it's Robin's book. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And also we've got the whole coming of Prodigal where yeah. Robin is now Batman going up against Two-Face. Mm. So there's, there's, there's the laying seeds for Prodigal here, yeah. which is probably why this one didn't feel as padded as the Batman books. Mm. This is very much a prelude to Prodigal. Which it is. Which it is. It's very definitely a prelude to Prodigal. In any Prodigal trade paperback, I would hope this was in there. Yeah. In fact, Prodigal gets printed in the new Knight's Quest, Knight's End, Nightfall trades, even though Knight's Quest The Search doesn't. Okay. Which makes no sense, DC! But that being said, I don't think the Zero Issues do. Hmm. And this is very much a setup for Prodigal, isn't it? Yeah. This issue, as you're reading Prodigal, this issue has a lot, much more of a payoff. This needs to be in a Nightfall Prodigal trade paperback. It's very important. Um, and you could include it because there's no timeline stuff in this. No. So you could include this in a in a Prodigal trade. Um, that said, I I, th- I still thought it was good. I still enjoyed it. There's lots of little tidbits in the story it confirmed that Bruce adopted Dick in this issue something that prior to Zero Hour Bruce had never done which I have to confess made little sense to me of course Bruce had adopted it's mm. just logical but very little's made of it in fact I think they would even retcon this again because I recall a much bigger deal was made out of Bruce finally adopting Dick in Devon Grayson's run on Gotham Knights I remember it being recent yeah Tom Panneries, hello Tom, may remember that better than I do, with yeah. him being the whole Teen Titans fan. But I'm sure that they made a big deal out of Bruce adopting Dick, much later on than this. Because it's a throwaway line in this, mm. Bruce adopted me. And you're like, of course Bruce adopted him, makes perfect <laughs> sense. But then they never follow up on it. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's just me. Uh, also interesting, as part of his training, Bruce fired arrows at Dick. Child endangerment much? <laughs> Because um, there's no there's no evidence that they're blunted arrows. Well, isn't the the whole 
Robin Korea child endangerment. Well, yeah, but we can't turn a blind eye because it's fun <laughs> in many ways. Uh, the art's gorgeous. I love the flashback scenes and all the, the different villains that we see. Um, it's great to see Tim and Dick get on so well. Yeah. And it's nice to tie those zero issues together. Largely, I suspect, because Nightwing didn't have his own book at this point. Hmm. So Tim Drake got his own comic book before Dick Grayson did. But obviously Tim Drake isn't in favour with the current DC Comics administration, is he? Um, Again, the American Entertainment Comics advert doesn't have much in the way of hot comics. It has specials. Batman Zero, Green Lantern Zero, Man of Steel Zero and Zero Hour Zero, Dooms 4, Hellshock, Wetworks, Gen 13, Kindred, Stormwatch, Union, Wetworks and Wildcats are all specials. Only three of them are any decent. Uh, yeah, but the the Gen 13, Kindred, Stormwatch, Union, Wetworks and Wildcats sell for $10 a piece. I have all the Gen 13, it didn't cost that much. Yeah, you don't have it really. You've got a fake copy. They only download them because I knew Jim Lee did them. Um, and the last page of Dick taking on the mantle of Batman is fantastic. Yeah. Full page splash of Dick putting the uh, the costume on. I like how subtle the costume differences are. Yes. So subtle, I can't spot them. Um, the, the Dick's costume is lighter than Bruce's. It is, yeah. I hadn't noticed that before. Dick's costume is slightly lighter than Bruce Wayne's. I was going to say they do a different job with the the body type as well but they don't seem to no I would have thought they'd have made a big Whereas deal out of that in the newer stuff they're like yeah it's a different costume but Dick's obviously thinner yeah than Bruce's he's more spelt than Bruce especially seeing as that does become a plot point in Prodigal yeah Commissioner Gordon points out in Prodigal that you're now a couple of inches shorter and you're not as bulked yeah so you're a different guy does, does Commissioner God not go home and cry of confusion <laughs> that there's all these different How many are there? Yeah. It's yeah. like, you, you'll get up tomorrow and check the post and there'll be an envelope that's, and you open it and it says, you're now Batman for the next 24 <laughs> hours. Like uh, like when you get jury duty. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they elect Batman. Batman duty. <laughs> I actually quite like that idea. Yeah. I'd like to be Batman for a night. Um, zero issue concluded. As you can see. A few cosmetic changes, Dick being adopted officially, Bruce never catching his parents' killers, Batman's backstory has pretty much stayed the same, and given that the Zero Hour story wasn't so much a reboot as a streamlining, this made sense. Some of the streamlining made very little sense. Batman never caught his parents, really. But on the whole, Batman Year One and various tales in and around that, Nightfall, Jason Todd's second origin, Death and the Family, were largely unchanged. The big change here seems to be Two-Face, being Robin's main adversary rather than Batman. And this makes more sense than Crazy Quilt. (laughs) But it lacked some heavy motivation. Okay. Episode 100 proceeds apace. And we're doing very well. Mm -hmm. We're nearly at two hours. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And then Michael's going to take over with his portion of the show. Hey, Johnny, it's been a while. Yeah, it's a good thing we're off our hiatus. Yeah, now we can finally get back to talking about some classic Daredevil issues. What if we threw some current Daredevil in there? You mean the awesome Mark Wade run? Sure, I'd love to talk about that stuff. Awesome. So if any of our listeners want to join us again, or if any listeners want to join us along the way, they can listen to From Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast. It's found on iTunes and at fromyellowtored.libsyn.com. Yay! 
September 20. You've not done and we're back. And we're back. That's better. Okay. Uh, September 2012 marked another milestone for DC Comics history, in the sense that this was arguably the first milestone in DC history. Yeah. And everything was renumbered as issue one, and after a year and 12 issues, DC redid Zero Month, which saw the launch of several new titles, and told, or retold, Origins, or simply what had happened a couple of days before issue one. Unlike <laughs> Justice League, which continues from where the backup of issue 11 to it left off. Okay. And when it comes to Batman's four titles, or five, things just wouldn't work out if every issue covered his origin. However, that's exactly what they did, but played it very cleverly. Each issue would see a different segment of the Dark Knight's origin, and all four titles, Batman, Detective Comics, Dark Knight and Batman and Robin, could be joined together to form a quadruple-sized story, leading from the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne up until Baby Damien, (laughs) or Adult Damien. <laughs> Other bat books such as Nightwing, Teen Titans, and Batgirl also cover their origins, but could be placed within the four main books or on their own. With a cover date of November 2012, Greg Hurwitz, Scott Snyder, and Peter J. Tomasi proudly present Batman before the New 52, something I like to call a story that could not fit into five years at all. <laughs> a long time ago, as a child, Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered in an alley next to a cinema. A week later, Bruce investigated and asked a nearby homeless person if he saw anything the night they were killed. He took Thomas Wayne's watch away from Bruce and pushed him away. Years later, Bruce told the Wayne industry janitor that he believed his parents' murder was planned, to which he is told that Thomas Wayne did not to which he was told that Thomas Wayne did have several enemies in other businesses. Bruce spent his school days studying and practicing different forms of fighting until he graduated and went straight for the homeless man from his childhood. He got the name of his parents' killer in his father's watch. Bruce then researched Joe Chill, the man who killed his parents, and finds him in an abandoned building. Chill told Bruce that there was no grand plan. He only wanted the pearls for money. Heartbroken over the insignificance of his parents' murder, Bruce left for Tibet. Ten years ago, Bruce searched the Himalayas for the legendary Zen Buddhist monk warrior Shihan Matsuda. Bruce is turned down by a temple, but after meditating outside the steps for some time, Matsuda himself beckons him in. In the following nine months, Bruce made little progress, fell for a woman who worked in a shop in town, and grew close to Matsuda and his wife, saying that they're like a mother and father to him. Matsuda taught Bruce to distance himself from his emotions, but his wife told Bruce he needed to keep his emotions for strength. One night, Bruce told the girl to meet up with him, and then came back to the temple. Matsuda was attacked and killed by Bruce's not-yet-girlfriend, and Matsuda's wife, who was angered that he distanced himself from her. With the three of them dead, Bruce realised that if he'd have distracted himself from his emotions like Matsuda had taught him, the three would be alive. Seven years ago, after refusing to sell Wayne Manor, Alfred was threatened by one of Wayne Industries' rival companies, before Alfred kicked out the representative sent over. Immediately after he left, Bruce returned and told Alfred some plans that will change everything. Six years ago, Bruce went undercover into the Red Hood gang, but due to his lack of studying and research, is caught out. Managing to escape from the gang, Bruce runs into police, but due to a shootout between the gang and the police, Bruce escaped to the back caves of the sewers as the gang shot at him. Having given up on Bruce Wayne and calling him a mask, Bruce created equipment and vehicles to help him in his quest. He was visited by Lieutenant Gordon, who asked about Wayne Industries and a local vigilante who showed up recently. Elsewhere, the Red Hoods found Wayne's hideout and planned to blow it up. Five years ago, 
After a run-in with Batman, Gordon set up the Bat-Signal whilst all the future Robins watched the very first lighting of the Bat-Signal. Sometime around here, Dick Grayson's parents were killed. He, he got taken into foster care and one night he got held up by some crooks. Batman 2 called the crooks down and Dick deduced that Batman was Bruce Wayne. Bruce took Dick well, in just like that. Through, through, like... Telepathy or mind control or something headaches and right. twitchy lips and Bruce took Dick in and trained him Batman got attacked by Lady Shiva Dick became Robin and tried to stop her both Batman and Robin were beaten Lady Shiva walked away a year and a half ago allegedly after asking about who his father was Talia al Ghul promised her son Damien that if he could defeat her in battle then she would take him to his father finally on his 10th birthday <laughs> Talia took him to his father, Batman, captured by Ninja Man Bats. I can't wait till we get to Batman and Robin. Yeah. Um, Dark Knight is the first issue that we're covering. The cover to all of these follow the same trade dress, similar to what they did with the original Zero issues. Mm. The new 52 issue Zero is emblazoned across the top. All of them are poster-esque covers of the titular characters bursting from a comic book page. Now, on the solicitation... It was the cover of issue one. Which looked better, to It be did. I was just going to say that. It was the cover to issue one, and it looked a lot better than these. These, they're just bursting from random panels. From the issue, yeah. Is that the actual first page of the issue? Um... Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. But it's the first page of the actual issue. Different panels. In this case... And then the Batman one, the Detective Comics one, sorry, isn't. No. That's that's not the first page of the issue. That one's The Batman not. one isn't. That's a different page of the issue. And the Batman and Robin one isn't either. No. So only the first one. Is that oh, yeah, it is. Batman and Robin's the first page. Yeah. So only Batman and Robin and Dark Knight uh. are actually the first page of the issue. Mm. Dark Knight was um I did like what you did with the synopsis there. Yeah. That you did the synop you synopsised all four of these and Nightwing. Yeah. In one synopsis. Very good. Mm-hmm. Very I would have done Suicide Squad, Teen Titans and Red Hood. Yeah, let's not get carried away. But yeah. Dark Knight makes a big deal out of young Bruce yeah. wanting the death of his parents to be more significant. And it not just being a random event. Hmm. And over the course of the story, he learns that it is just a random event. There is a big deal made out of the fact that, as a child, he gives his watch to this bum in Crime Alley. Yeah. And then when he comes back to Gotham as an adult, some years later... Welcome home, Master Bruce. And he gets his watch back. Yeah. That's important. Pay attention. We'll we'll table that and come back to that. Um, what did you think of this one? Well, um, the cover by David Finch shows Batman flying out like Superman, which there'll be more of in all the other ones. It, yeah, it does. Like, you know, I've not considered that. I mean, at least on the cover to Batman, it looks like he's jumping. Yeah. And on the cover to Detectives, he's holding the bat rope, which is holding onto nothing. Like when Spider-Man used to swing from clouds in the games. Yeah, but he does... That, that is a Superman pose, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't considered that. It's, it's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's all right. Um, the story Killing the Earth is by Greg Hurwitz with pencils by Miko Swayan and 
Schwamm Brose Rip. <laughs> the DC Sweatshop. Yeah. Um, uh, Pretty much. Yeah. With inks by Vicente Sifuentes. Sifuentes? Yes. Uh, Sonia Obak colouring, Patrick Brossal lettering, and Ricky Poirine and Mike Mars editing. <laughs> the DC Sweatshop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I actually liked this issue, and I, I really liked the first artist on it. I thought the art was really good until halfway through when the other guy went on it. Why did it change artist halfway through an issue? Um, I don't get that at all. The first artist refused to work for the DC minimum wage, which is <laughs> um, a sandwich. <laughs> a sandwich and a glass of coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, fair enough. If, if you refuse to finish the issue, I don't suppose they have much chance. Yeah, I was joking. I oh, right. No okay. idea why. But um, Bruce's naivety about his dad got on my nerves a bit, where everyone's like, but he, he was in, in charge of an industry, a business. He would have So he would have made enemies. Yeah. But I thought the reveal was really well executed. Yes. But it was all ruined by one tiny little it phrase. It wasn't ruined. I wouldn't say ruined, but you... you, you but it took you out of the issue. Yeah. Initially, when I first read this, it took me out long enough to say, how many editors does this go through? And nobody caught that. Now, we're going to read it for you. It's, <laughs> it was written for me by Urban Dictionary. Was it? Right. <laughs> I read the issue and went, I stopped reading and went back to it and read it again to make sure I'd read it properly. It was around a while ago I was reading this one thing and I was like, what, what the hell's that? Why is that funny? That, uh, oh, Alright, oh. did you not know what it meant? No, this was a while ago. But when I was reading this I knew what it meant. Right. So. Because, um, alright, okay. Bruce is distraught when he finds out that his parents were killed for no reason. Some it was a random joker killing. foreshadowing there. And that? there's some lovely joker foreshadowing, yes. And, um, the line that we are alluding to, or referring to, is, at the end of the day, my parents died because a guy wanted a pearl necklace. <laughs> and it's supposed to be this really powerful realisation for the character yeah. where he realises that random bad stuff happens. It is ruined by the wording. If you don't know what that means, if you're of the younger persuasion and you're not sure what that means, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. But the first time I read this, I, I knew nothing about these other than they were doing zero issues because you're the yeah. one who primarily keeps up with all the comic book news now. By and large, I don't care. I'll take stuff as it comes along, and if I'm interested, and I'm interested, if I'm not, I'm not. But with the new Marvel Now thing, mm. it was like, oh, okay, whatever. And I've read one of them, Uncanny Avengers, which I thought was piss poor. Yeah. But I'm still willing to give all the titles a go, mm -hmm. just because I thought one was piss poor doesn't mean I think they're all. Did you not carry on with it? I don't think so. That one issue was. No, I didn't think it was good enough. To, at least with the new 52, yeah. the ones that I read, we carried on with. And the ones that we've dropped by the wayside have dropped by the wayside. Yeah. But that didn't make me want to buy another issue. Yeah. Uncanny Avengers, I thought it was appallingly bad. Um, but if if you are aware of what that is, a, is it Urban Dictionary? Does it actually mention that? Yeah. 
if you're aware of what that's a euphemism for, that completely ruins the scene and the moment yeah. and everything the story's built up to. This horrible piece of innuendo at just the wrong moment in the story. <laughs> yeah. And I can't believe that nobody caught that. <laughs> Unless it doesn't mean that in America or it's a, a phrase that hasn't got no, across it, it to must America. Because the first time I read it, it was the American. Right. So... So it isn't something that's just over here, then. Mm. And it's... Oh, I can't believe how many hands this book's go to. And nobody went to the writer and said, You see this panel here? Do you want to rewrite that caption box for us, please? Because mm. that was just appalling. Um, well, in the DC sweatshop, it's... Yeah, they probably <laughs> didn't know. So Greg Hurwitz, if he did that deliberately... Yeah. Then he needs taken outside and smacking outside <laughs> the head. Because what he's done, though... He's gutted his own story. Yeah. Hasn't he? Hmm. If he it is quite a strong yeah, issue. It's for supposed that. to be a powerful character moment that he ruins yeah. by using that turn of phrase. If he didn't know what it means, I can't believe one of the many editors this book has to go through hmm. didn't know what it means. I've been making that joke with your mum since the the um the film, The Girl with the Pearl Earring. Yeah. When we first saw the advert for that film, I said to you, I, I think we were in the cinema, because it's Scarlett Johansson, isn't it? Yeah. Because I said to your mum, really, pearl earring? Mm. What's the porn version going to be called? <laughs> and left it at that. So, yeah, if the guy who wrote this didn't know what that phrase meant, fair enough, but somebody should have caught it. Yeah. They should have sent it to me. <laughs> well, the first time I... Because... I, I, I go and bleed and cool quite a bit. This that that one panel, I knew that was coming for the issue. Right, bleed and cool. Just because point out what it what it meant. Yeah. Right. Point out what it meant was just like this. This has <coughs> two editors and. All oh, right. So yeah. there's this book has two editors and neither of them spotted this. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's actually a fair comment for bleeding cool. I know, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm actually with them on that one. By the way, this issue sold out. It's now worth fifty quid. Yeah, I hate that. Um, there's a good advert for the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. The Blu-ray, which we've not watched yet. Mm-hmm. We've not. I don't know if it's out over here yet. That one. To be honest Are they doing all the Frank Miller stuff? I presume so. Because they've done year one. The Dark Knight Returns is in two parts. Advert for Arrow. Yeah. Which I'm quite enjoying. Okay. I think Arrow's pretty damn good. The New York Comic Con. And the excellent Batman 13. I've not read that yet. I thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's not substantially different from the other Zero issues. No. Essentially, they're telling the origin again. But yeah, you're right, in this way, they're doing it incrementally. They're not just telling the same part over and over again. Which works if you're reading all the titles, but doesn't if you're only buying one. Yes. Whereas the old ones work if you're only buying one. Yeah. So you can't win, really, Well, we bought all of these only because we knew they'd all be one. Yeah. Because we don't read Batman and Robin. No, I don't read Batman and Robin. I don't read Detective, do I? Yeah. Do do I? I think think you've dropped that now. I definitely definitely read Batman. Yeah. Because it has rapidly become one of the best books on the market. Yes. Which one's next, Michael? Um, uh, Detective Comics. Detective Comics, here we go. The cover of which, by Tony Daniels, shows Batman flying through the ripping yeah. cover, but this time with a rope. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a very good cover either. Oh, no. I don't like Tony Daniels, out. Do you not? No. 
I'm not sure what I think about the new Bat Emblem either. I much prefer the old one. Yeah. To that one. This Again, that's just Batman Begins, isn't it? Yeah. That's the Batman Begins emblem. Well, he's covered in his armour now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, the final lesson was written by Greg Hurwitz, penciled by Tony Daniel, inked by a richer friend, with additional art by Pia Perez, coloured by... Is Tom it not Per? Pere. Pere. Pere, yeah. Pere Perez. Pere Perez. Coloured by Tomial More, lettered by Jared Fletcher and edited by Katie Kubert, Harvey Richards and Mike March. Mm. Um, now, I didn't really enjoy this issue much. Did you not? Whilst it was readable, I didn't like it as much as Detective, um, as Detective Bruce solving his parents' murder. And I found this issue quite dull. Right. When they're just sitting around and going, distance myself from emotions. <laughs> oh, there's a girl over there. I have feelings for girls. I've never spoken to a girl before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tony Daniels' art isn't getting any better either. Now, um, it's better than Batman 701 and 702, but it's nowhere near as good as it used to be. Is it not? No. Right. I'll, I'll take your word for that. I don't know a lot about Tony Daniel. I, I thought the art was fine. I thought this issue was fine, with two glaring exceptions. One, my God, it's cynical. Hmm. Isn't it? Love will destroy you. You cannot let anyone get close. Love will kill you. <laughs> love, love will tear us apart. Again. Literally. It wouldn't have, have been a hundredth episode if we didn't sing somewhere. Yeah. Um, and the ending... We should have done it all in song. We should have. <laughs> um, the ending basically says all women are evil, doesn't it? <laughs> both women turn Yeah, both guys. women in this story are murderous, evil <laughs> yeah. witches. And so... You get to the end of this issue. Up to this point, I was quite enjoying this one. Yeah. And you get to the end of this story, and your ultimate impression is, wow. So the subtext of this issue, which rapidly became text, <laughs> is that women are all scum. Greg Herbert hates women. Yeah, he, had a, he, he had a bad breakup in high school. And I was like, okay. <laughs> all right. And if that's the story you want to tell... Fair enough, but ultimately it did leave quite a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah. My other problem with the issue... Yeah. And earlier on I asked you to table this. Mm -hmm. A big deal is made in this issue of Bruce just stirring at a watch. Yeah. Throughout the issue. He does it once or twice. Uh, and it's given quite prominence. Mm. It's not a subtle thing, it's just on his wrist or something. There is actually clearly a panel where he's lying in bed looking at the watch and in the watch is reflected his mother and father. Yeah. The implication being that this is his father's watch. Yes. Or did you not get that? No, no. How can this be his father's watch? In Dark Knight, the watch is taken off him as a child Yeah. in the alleyway when he's trying to find out who killed his parents. Yeah. He retrieves the watch upon his return to Gotham City as a man. No, no, he, he he takes it before he goes to Tibet. How do you work? Where do you get? Because it right. says here, in if we go back to Dark Knight, I'm willing to be wrong here. Oh, so he has it when he goes. To right, Tibet. so he goes back to Gotham when he graduates. From right. School. Okay, so it's not a mistake then, no. and it's actually a clever piece of continuity. Yeah. Because I thought it was a mistake, but no, you're right. So he goes back to Gotham. Yeah. Gets his watch back. Finds Joe Chill. Finds Joe Chill and then does his world trip. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Okay, that's not a goof then. So I'll forgive that. So there's only the cynical nature of the story. Yes. 
that uh, that made me go. Hmm. Um, this issue also comes with a backup entitled "The Long Wait" by James Tinian the Fourth and penciler Henrik Johnson. Uh, Inker Sandu Floreal. Coloured by Florea. Florea. Possible. Coloured by John Callis. And lettered by Desi Sienta. I've no idea. <laughs> now I actually like this backup more than I liked the story. And I like seeing what Alfred would be like without Bruce. I like it when Alfred's an ass kicker. Kick ass in yeah. the story. Yeah. That's why I'm hoping they've really not done anything evil to him in Batman 14. Yeah. Or I'm not going to be impressed. Really? After he all, won't. They better not have. No, it'll, it'll, it'll just be like a killing joke. He's not going to walk in and his head's going to be on a wall. <laughs> Actually. Based on... If, if Tony Daniels writing that story, mm. cut off the Joker's face and then... Now cut off Alfred's head. Now, now we're on the topic of death in the family, That death of the family, that... Looking back at that issue one, it does seem like his face was cut off for no reason other than let's cut his face off in an issue one for shocks. But now it's paying off. Because, well, it's not even that. Scott Snyder says that it was just the status quo that the Joker had no face. It, the, it, and only so he's decided to do something yeah, with it. He's like, there were no plans as to where it was going to go. Well, that's a waste but of time. But he does say in the ever. last issue, it's time for my transformation. But Tony Daniels off the book now, and no one did anything about it. So, maybe, but I thought the whole point of the first year of the New Fifty Two was they weren't going to use the Joker anyway. Maybe that was what he felt about. he'd been played out. Tony had, and they want to keep him out of the but way for a year before they do a big storyline. Legends it? of the Dark Knight, which was the the, digital the new digital stuff. one, yeah, which was pretty good up until you got to like two or three three issue story arcs about the Joker right. in a row. See, I quite liked the idea of taking the Joker off the table, and he's, Batman he's 13 was awesome. Overdone. Yeah. The, everything's the Joker, that he's just not... Yeah. It's hard to imagine, when I started... You and I were all out. <laughs> I started reading them Batman comics from newsstands at market. And when I, was re- when I started reading them in around Batman 300-ish, 304, 305, yeah. in the early 80s, through to Batman 400... Mm-hmm. which was 86. So in those five years that I read Batman regularly, when I was nine, ten years old through to being 15, yeah. there were only three Joker stories. Yeah. There was the Joker's Rumpus Room Revenge, Joker's Last Laugh, and then the three-part one in South Africa that crossed over between Batman and Detective Comics. There may have been other appearances like Brave and the Bold and stuff, but in the main Batman books there were three Joker stories in six years. And then after that, there was suddenly a Joker story every year. There's one every day now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think it's at that point he started becoming, certainly after the 89 movie, the Joker started to become played out. Mm. And I think taking him off the table for a year has been the best thing that they've done. That I read. The, the preview mm. for Batman 13 a while ago and it was the bit where he's in the GCPD yeah. and all the lights go yeah, out it's and a very good sequence I read that and I was like that was quite scary yeah it's an excellent issue yeah. it was so good I want the rest of Death in the Family now or even the Titans no I don't know about them we'll get them anyway yeah probably <laughs> anyway speaking of Batman yes um, the actual title, Batman, not the character, the Batman. Yes. Uh, the cover by Greg Capullo once again shows Batman jumping through the rib. Mm. 
In time. The, the cover itself is it's quite good, but his right leg looks very big compared to the rest of his body. Yeah. It's, he's got a huge thigh, hasn't he? Yeah. That is, is Just keeps longer getting than the rest of his body. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame, because I love Greg Capullo. Yeah. I think he's great. He, he has given Batman a new look. He has. The variant cover by Andy Clark, I think, is quite silly. It shows Batman on a bat bike throwing a batarang at us on some flat land in the middle of nowhere with the Gotham skyline in the background. I've not seen the variant cover. It, it's, it doesn't look good at all. Right. Okay. Bright New Yesterday was written, penciled and inked by Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo and Jonathan Glapion, respectively. Mm-hmm. It was coloured by FCO Placencia, lettered by Richard Starkings and comic crafts Jimmy... Betancourt, and edited by Keith Cubitt and Mike Mertz. Is she in relation to the Cubitts? She could be. Right. I enjoyed this issue, and I think Snyder's run has been very good so far. And I think here he handles the tension of the Red Hood gang very well, and doesn't mention the Joker at all in it. No. Although um, it's presumably foreshadowing what's to come in Death of the Family. Uh, I loved this one. Mm. Again, it was my favourite one of the four which has become that way with the Batman books generally. I loved the metatextual subtext of the first page. Yeah. Where the guy is ostensibly talking about the new Gotham National Bank, but the dialogue is written in such a way that he's talking about the new 52. Yeah. What was once old will be new again. That was our mission. Perhaps some will accuse us of raising our own past too quickly, too aggressively. Well, to them I say, before you criticise our new Gotham National Bank, at least try our free coffee. Mm-hmm. So I like that that opening state could be a mission statement for the New 52. Yeah. I thought that was very clever. Uh, I thought the art was fantastic in the issue. As it always is. Yeah, I loved Bruce Wayne's role in it, where he's not Batman yet, so he's actually gone undercover in the Red Hood gang. And keeps messing up. And just keeps fouling up. Yeah. Because... After ten years of Grant Morrison's take on Batman... It's good to see a Batman... It's good to see a Batman who can make mistakes. Well, that's all Grant Morrison's Batman is, really. What, what's he makes a mistake and gets himself killed. He makes a mistake and has to be zeroing her. He makes a mistake and gets a sense of the beginning of time. Um, I love the section where he's racing the, the bike... The Tron bike. Through, the Tron bike, yeah, through the sewers. And um, the back door is still registering his shirt. Forgive me, sir. I did warn you that operating a supercomputer was a bit outside my typical job purview. Just a moment now. I don't have a moment, Alfred. For goodness sake. Did that work? Perfectly. I loved it. I thought that was brilliant. I love the relationship between Batman and Alfred. That's one of the best tributes there is. To Joe Cuba. Yeah. Yeah, just the page of the GI. Is it Sergeant Rock? Yeah. Or is it just a GI? I think it's my... Because one of my friends had this... Because he gets them before we do. Because he buys them off the stands, we get them from mail on. Yeah, and he said, Have you read this? I'm flicking through it, and I'm like, The best part of this book is the tribute. Yeah, the Joe Cubert thing. That's yeah. a, it's a really good tribute, that. Mark Wade had some issues with the tribute to Joe Cubert, didn't yeah. he? On the website. Why? Where they only mentioned books that he was currently working on that they were selling. Right. And he thought that was a bit crass yeah. to not mention all his I, war comics. And Yeah, I picked up his newest stuff the other day and I was like this is actually really bittersweet to look at now yeah now that he's not here anymore yeah, yeah it's quite sad um I liked as well at this point he's living in he's Wayne. up on Bruce Wayne he's not living in the cave no he's living in Gotham City itself not 14 miles away yeah in the mansion um I love the bit with the Batarang 
and the little back and forth he has with Commissioner Gordon at the end of it. Yeah. Where he's programmed the Batarang to come back in four minutes, which gives the scene a lovely little tension. Mm. Where Bruce is like, how oh, close am I to that Batarang coming back to me? I'm up here talking to Commissioner Gordon. And the whole subtext that Commissioner Gordon suspects him yeah. of being the vigilante that's parading because around this town. Commissioner Gordon does his job. Yeah, because this Commissioner Gordon isn't the, the police, yeah. the guy from the TV show. Obviously, uh, I, yeah, I thought this was really, really good. And that the, the ending, I think, doesn't ca- it doesn't really work. No, yeah, it's a cliffhanger, but it's a cliffhanger that took place six years ago. Yeah, so it obviously isn't gonna. They're not gonna destroy Bruce. Yeah. So yeah, it's a cliffhanger that doesn't that doesn't pan out, unfortunately. But it's a really good issue. Hmm. Heartily recommended. Uh, the the backup tomorrow mm-hmm. is by James Tinian the fourth and artist Andy Clark coloured again by F.C. Upthensia letterer Patrick Brossow and editors Case Cubis and Mike Mertz and now this is what ruffles my jimmies a yeah bit. you don't you, you, you're not a big fan of this I'm not a big all, fan of this at all okay. okay go on then all I'll three Robins are the same age I didn't understand that no 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 and See, Tim is in his last year in middle school. Right. Dick is in Haley's Circus performing for Bruce Wayne next week, which will be the show his parents are killed. Yeah. Jason Todd is committing crimes and walking the streets. Yes. Uh, but the art makes them all at the same age. Now, there is a possibility that they're not all the same age, but the art makes it look that way. Um, I took that Jason was older than Dick. Yeah. From this. Yeah. Because how old was Dick Grayson when his parents were killed? Bruce has been given three different ages. Over the the long history of the Batman, in some stories he's six, in some he's eight, and yeah. in some he's twelve. I always seem to lean towards eight, and yeah. I don't know why. That must six have been seems too young. No, it's just that must be the age he was given in a story I read read as a child. So that's yeah. the one that stuck with me. I always thought that Dick was a little bit older than that. Yeah, like ten maybe when his parents died. Mm. But, but Jason, he's like 14 and Jason's 16. Yes, Jason looks older than Dick Grayson here. Yeah. So I don't really understand how this whole Robin thing works anymore. No. I, I, I do like the little subtext where Jason's wearing a red hood. Yeah. But And is, is, is Tim Drake in a boarding school? Um, it looks like. Is he in a boarding school because he has no parents? Could be. Because I, I didn't... I've not been reading Teen Titans, so I don't know what's going on with I did Drake. not understand this story at all. I got that it was a story of the three Robins. I didn't understand why they were all the same age. Yeah. And I, I'm presuming this has not been explained anywhere. Probably not. Since he's not even Robin anymore. No. And never was Robin. No. Apparently. Um, yeah, and the framing story is Barbara Gordon thinking, I will be Batgirl, isn't it? Yeah. So, how old is she, though? Because she only looks 12. I, I think she looks a bit older. You think? Yeah. See... I'd say, I'd say though she looks like the oldest of the lot. Alright, maybe we'll go for 14 then. <laughs> but I didn't get that one at all. I just yeah. didn't understand it. I didn't the understand the point of it. I didn't understand what they were trying to say. I think it was supposed to be, hey, this is how cool... The bat signal is, look at the effect it has and inspiring in the hearts of Robins everywhere. But why are they all the same age? Because uh, in this new DC, what makes sense is not what is. Alright, fair enough. 
Um, Finally. But what, what's quite annoying with this one is how we expect, we know that all the Robins and Batgirl happen within the five years specified. And at some point, Robin get Batgirl, sorry, gets crippled yeah. and fixed in within five within years. Within the five years specified, but the five years specified is only how long Batman has been operating. Six, I'd put. Is he at six years? If we say that Batman was six years ago, and that's when he started his Batman career. All right, fair enough. Um, Batman and Robin. Um, Someday never comes. Was written by Peter Tomasi, penciled by Patrick Gleason, inked by Mick Gray, coloured by John Callis, lettered by Carlos Mangual not Mongol, and edited by Ricky <laughs> Purden and Rachel Gluckster. It's Batman and Robin, we should mention that. It's Batman and Robin. Mm. Um, the cover of this is Batman crap. and Robin jumping out and and Damien's kicking Batman's arm and he's cutting the page up with his... With his Wolverine claws. Yeah. I don't like that cover at all. With his Batarang dusters. I think that cover's awful. Yeah. Because Damien... Damien's just broken his ri- uh, Damien's ribs. Damien's just broken his ribs yeah. and looks... Much older than he should be. Well, the rot is all the same age. Yeah, if you say so. Go on. This issue is all flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, all the other issues are flashbacks too, but this one is a flashback within a flashback, showing the life of Damien. Damien Al Ghul. Yes. We know that Damien is ten. We know Damien is ten, which ten. means that according. To the issues covered tonight, Damien was born whilst Bruce was gallivanting in the Himalayas. Indeed. This issue also ends with how Batman and Son issue 1 ended, with Damien holding the captured Batman and that sword point and saying he thought he'd be taller. Now, what this means is that Batman and Son happened. Within the new framework. Yes. Which means the Joker was shot. Which means... Uh, no, his Joker was shot by one of the three ghosts of Batman, meaning he had to come back, meaning R.I.P. happened, meaning Black Love <laughs> happened, which goes into Final Crisis. And we know that Dick was Batman just before Nightwing issue one, but that could be from the death of Bruce Wayne and Batman and Robin, meaning Return of Bruce Wayne happened, meaning Final Crisis <laughs> happened, or Nightfall happened, which we know from Dark Knight issue six to seven. So not only does this issue show that Damien doesn't fit into the five, six year career of Batman, but... It, it does show that at least one of the crises happened. There are no crises. I can't do Dan Diddy. And we need to get Mike Bailey <laughs> to just do us a sound clip that says, Hey there, Mike. There are no crises. And just, yeah. We'll just play well, we it whenever you go on one of these rants. Because the, the DC are currently publishing Batman Incorporated, which means that Final Crisis had to happen, for the return of Bruce Wayne to, ha- uh, to happen, for the return to happen, for Batman to start Batman Incorporated. I thought this one was crap. Yeah. Because I just can't stand Damien. Mm. Right, okay. Is the implication from this issue that Damien's a test tube baby? Yes. Right. Which means that Batman may not even know about it. No. Where did they get some of Bruce Wayne's sperm? Um. Yeah, because it doesn't even say that. But we know they did because he is Damien Wayne as well. In... It clearly says here, incubator womb unlocked, nine month term cycle complete. So the implication here is that he's a test tube baby. And in the pre-Flashpoint stuff, um, it's mentioned a lot of the time in 666 Hmm. and 700. Hmm. It's pointed out that he was conceived by Bruce and Talia. Not according to this. But she has the cape and cowl, which means he must have had a part in it as well. 
Well, that's what I got from it, that he's a test tube baby. But, so why does she have the cape and cowl, then? I have no idea. I don't know how this fits in. I have no idea, because we clearly see... How many birthdays do we see in this? One, two, three, four, at least six birthdays. Mm. Which would mean he's been training to do this since he was four years of age. I just find Damien to be a very disagreeable character, to be honest with you. Mm. It seems to me he's trying to be hip girl. Yeah. Or one of those Japanese manga type characters. Who was it? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Batman, Batman and Son was way before K- uh, Kick-Ass. Right. But, mm, alright then, fair enough. But he does seem like he's been one of those Japanese kid characters who's good at everything. It's a Grant Morrison character, probably was. And it's... I just don't like him. I don't find him in any way appealing. I don't see what it is that makes him Robin. Yeah. I mean, he wholesale slaughters people in this issue. Mm-hmm. And Batman's not got a problem with that. That's the whole point of the Batman Incorporated at the moment is Damien is a pawn between the um, worldwide war between Batman Incorporated and the Leviathan which spoiler alert Leviathan is Talia see it says here in the the who's who entry at the back scientifically engineered to be the offspring of Batman and Talia Al Ghul okay maybe they made him but then cut him out and put him in a test tube let's see I don't no, because that doesn't fit with what this story tells me. But then all, this story also says that there had to be a Batman involved to give her the cape and cowl. Yeah. Which also implies that when you think about it logically, must be maybe she drugged him. You know, like the story we all read. Yeah, okay. See, I read Son of the Demon where she didn't drug him. I thought that she did. No, in Son of the Demon she doesn't drug him. In Son of the Demon, Batman and Talia, Bruce and Talia, sorry, just get it on. Fair enough. After a particularly I read raucous night. Because the utility belt contains everything except a condom, apparently. Yeah. Well, maybe Bruce thought, you know, I'm not with any of those girls in Gotham. She, 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 she's going to stay here in this part of the They'll never room. know. Yeah. <laughs> no glove, no love, Dr. Jones. Uh, no, I, 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 I didn't like Batman and Robin. I didn't mind the other ones. Mm. The bitterly cynical nature of detective comics made me scratch my head. Uh, I quite like Dark Knight. Dark hates women. Yeah. I love... That's what I took from it. <laughs> I loved Batman. Uh, I hated Batman and Robin just because I don't like Damien. Now, it's entirely possible if I read Batman Incorporated when it's all done, I may actually grow fondness for him. Mm. Because when the entire story arc is finished... Grand Morrison's... And it makes sense... Yeah. I may actually go, alright, well, I can see where they were going with this now. Yeah. But as it stands, as a character, I find him just unappealing. I've, I've not unappealing. been following Incorporated. I've read the volume one of Incorporated, but from what I'm getting for this, the second volume, is that Grant Morris has built him up only to knock him down and say, you're a pawn, he's being used. Maybe at the end of the time he's finished with him, Grant Morrison's going to kill him off. Probably. And take him off the table. Yeah completely because he's his character isn't he once he leaves Batman I can't see anyone else wanting to do anyone anything with him mm. I still maintain New 52 would have worked better if it had picked up after Dick Grayson had just quit yes. and there had never been any other Robins and it would start with that panel of him throwing the yeah, costume away essentially and the Batman and Robin boot was set three years ago and was all about Dick Grayson being Robin yes but the, the, the reason with it being Damien is probably because it's a continuation of the previous Batman and Robin. Because they don't want to piss off Grand Morrison. But he he left 
Batman and Robin with issue 16 and carried on without him. I know, but he's still wrapping up his whole incorporated storyline, isn't he? Yeah. Which, according to you, he's not made any concessions to the New 52. No, but the New 52 has worked around that. Batman and Robin has worked around Batman Incorporated. So, by and large, because of what Morrison's doing, yeah. the, new fi- the rest of the New 52 doesn't work. No, because <laughs> Nightwing... <laughs> not Red Robin even mentions to him in Batman and Robin 10 that you're not a better Robin than me, which also says that Tim Drake was a Robin, right. because you killed Otto Nets, which is referencing to Batman Incorporated of the Vyathan Strikes. Because uh, Otto Nets is mentioned in this. Yeah. Right. So, Leviathan Strikes had to have happened, and Leviathan Strikes takes place before Flashpoint. Okay. My head hurts. Which means Grant Morrison's Batman run takes place outside of DC continuity, which means it has to take place also inside DC continuity because of Final Crisis, Blackest Night, and the current Batman and Robin. This has really irked you, hasn't it? Yeah. I just find it funny. I want DC editorial to sit down and listen to our podcast. Because I don't get irked at anything in comic books. No. Peter Parker hits a Mary Jane. Never happened. Never happened. Don't know what you're talking about. Brand new Days Mercury. Never happened. They redrew that panel in the trade paperbacks. <laughs> Didn't occur. Never happened. They redrawn it in the trade paperbacks? No, I just made that up. Oh, right. <laughs> I went out and they could have done for all I know. Um, well, that about wraps up episode 100. Nearly three two hour and a half hours. Yeah. Of us just talking crap. Which is essentially... The way it goes. The show, in a nutshell. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us for our 100th. We have many plans... For 100 more. For 100 more. Well, we've got plans through the end of the year, anyway. Yeah. And then we move... We change networks, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Bionic Woman. We do. We change networks. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, everybody, who has ever listened... To two northern chances running their mouths off mm-hmm. about comics. With guest appearances from the washing machine. With guest appearances from the washing machine and the cat. Yeah. And <laughs> the extended family, all of whom have shown up at some point. If you have ever emailed in or Facebooked us or even just downloaded an episode, we thank you. Maybe we should start doing guest appearances. Uh, I've thought about that, but we'd have to have two computers with two headsets, so you could be on and I could be on, and then we'd have to have the guest. Why would we need two computers? We can't both sit at one computer with one headset on. Well, no, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, what was I saying? Oh yeah, thank you very much. We'll be back next week when we begin the grand finale of our epic coverage of the night's story mm-hmm. as we talk about Prodigal. To be continued with Hush. <laughs> well, well, Hush is nothing really to do with it, but we will do Hush. We could do Hush and then That's Night right. of Owls. Uh, we've got it all planned out to, to Christmas. Night of Owls isn't a bad idea, actually. Um, after Christmas, Michael wants to do something. So I'm do turning I? the... Yes. And then we will be doing Superman celebrating the big guy's 75th birthday which I'm already planning I've mm. already got I can join in on that one wheels in motion mm. for that one so we're away yes we will see you next week or you will hear us next week or you will have heard us next week superlative audio commentary for Superman 3 yes which I hope you enjoy because we enjoyed doing it mm-hmm. we enjoyed so, doing it last week and then 
we'll be back with Prodigal. Sorry. Yeah, I messed up there, didn't I? You did. So it is next week for you guys. You've got another episode in the bag to listen to. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.